Godzilla, Gamera, and all things Kaiju. I am your co-host, Noah, and with me here once again is Tyler. Hello, everyone. Jacob. Hello. And Hayes. Because you know they saved the best for last. And you all have been co-hosts before on the show, correct? I mean, like, I know Hayes was in the first yeah. couple of our first episodes. I know Radio. Jacob's in, been some, so's Tyler. So, pretty cool. We have a so we have a pretty good returning cast. Um, first off the bat, we're going to discuss news. There's been some really big news that came out recently. Um, San Diego Comic Con is this coming weekend. We are recording this podcast on the evening of the 15th of July, and um, so much news has been leaking out about the new film, both unofficially and officially, that it's pretty exciting. Basically, um, from all accounts, Legendary is going to reveal Godzilla, and um, the bit the the um, the most recent news is that Legendary has finally released a new uh, poster for Godzilla, and it basically reveals Godzilla's uh, design. His outline, at least. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's not. I mean, in case you haven't seen it, it's um, it's a it's a Art Deco kind of poster of a crumpled building, but the building is like crumpled in the form of Godzilla, and it has Godzilla's spines, his head, his teeth, and everything. And it looks pretty sick. What do you guys think of the design from what from what we've seen? Well, personally, I think it's a lot better poster than the uh, previous one with just Godzilla and Gojira. But uh, <laughs> no, it, I, I thought when I saw it uh, first on, uh, I think it was IGN, I was kind of shocked by it. I was like, wow, that is that is really cool. I think he does a good job by uh, delivering two kind of vital pieces of information to us. One being that this is not a uh, another Geno design that is a traditional Godzilla design, mm-hmm. complete with the big maple leaf spines and uh, seemingly upright position. And two, that this indeed is going to be more of a disaster movie than an adventure movie or anything anything else. That's super exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on it, Jacob? Personally, I kind of don't like the the spine design. I guess like it looks like something from the Millennium series title of movies, and I I kind of like the older like original Godzilla style spines, like from the Heisei movies show of Godzilla. Like I just wasn't a huge fan of the you know huge jagged spines, but whatever. Godzilla 2000, the Godzilla 2000 design is probably one of, if not my favorite design of Godzilla ever, because uh, it's one, like Godzilla 98, it's one of the movies that was out, coming out in theaters, I remember seeing the commercials for it and everything, but I too was kind of hoping they would go with the classic uh, Maple Leafs, just because this film is hearkening back, from everything we've heard and seen so far, this film is hearkening back so much to the original Gojira that I was kind of hoping they would go with those, but I'm not going to complain. I mean, it's it's pretty sweet from what we've seen so far. The uh, newer Millennium designs aren't my favorite. I prefer the, you know, the rounded spines, the rounded tail, but I don't mind them. So I'm, I'm just happy to see that it's a, it looks like the Toho Godzilla. Yeah. I think that's the most important Agreed. thing to take away from this. Yes. Yes. And yeah, it's, I was, I was, I was kind of hoping they would do Godzilla 2000 ish in a way that it's like, how Godzilla 2000 was completely a completely radically different design from the Heisei or Heisei Gamera, uh, Godzilla series, but it was still clearly Godzilla, unlike the 98 right. film, which even though I love that design, 
it was a drastic reimagining of it. And I don't think they're going that route. I don't think they're trying to reimagine her redesign from the ground up Godzilla. I think they're trying to like just reintroduce people to Godzilla. Do the best kind right, of take this, take the same basic idea and just give it a new look. Yeah. Like, I mean, cause like the people with Godzilla 98, they wanted to reinvent Godzilla. I don't, I mean, they're, I'm sure they want to reinvent it a little bit, but not in that sense that we're going to make it bigger and better and badder in that kind of egotistical sense. If that, if that makes any sense. Right, because they wanted to fix Godzilla. Yes. I mean, you can't see it, but I just did the quotation signs in my hands. <laughs> <laughs> well, if by fix you mean neuter, I mean... Yeah. yeah, I would agree. I mean, from this poster, I mean, who knows what we'll actually get from Comic-Con. Yeah. I mean, fingers crossed, maybe we'll get an actual... We'll be able to see that trailer that they showed off, or that test I footage they showed off last year. But uh, it really, it really is my hopes up. I mean... From the darkness they had, from like this dark, like graphic poster design, it it really has my hopes up that this film is going in the right direction and it's gonna be the Godzilla film we wanted uh, 15 years ago. No, it will be 16 years ago when it comes out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I view I view Godzilla '98 as kind of a a step in the right direction. There's a lot I love about it. There's a lot that's wrong with it. But considering the scripts beforehand included Godzilla being an alien, <laughs> I think we got. You know, it it turned out as best as it could. Personally, I view it kind of like Tim Burton's Batman. That's a really good movie, but you got to sometimes you got to have the slight misstep before you can get the Batman Begins kind of thing. Agreed. It's kind of what I'm hoping for. It's amazing. I often find myself comparing the Godzilla franchise to the Batman franchise because like both of them started out incredibly dark, and then both of them got incredibly campy. So. I think they kind of have the same image in the public eye. Well, until like the new Batman films, that people are kind of seen as a, uh, you know, that campy, goofy superhero. Yes. Then, uh, by at least by you know the main public, not by the people who actually read the comics and everything. Mm-hmm. But then uh, Batman Begins came out, and people started taking him seriously again in the mainstream. And I'm really hoping that does what it does for Godzilla. Absolutely. That's kind of that's why I I mean I'm glad they're going with a darker tone. In this, I mean, I still love cheesy, campy, fun Godzilla movies, and I love Godzilla to be the hero and everything. But I really wanted them to go a darker tone on this, just so everyone else can like stop making fun of Godzilla and go like, okay, there's there is something here. Right. Although I get the distinct feeling that we'll have those people who uh, are really against all you know modern movies, You're gonna be like, why did they turn such a fun, airy franchise into such a dark, somber one? When he actually started like that, mm-hmm. I can just see that happening right now. Yeah. From where I sit, and it's yeah. starting to annoy me. I mean, I agree. Some films don't deserve it. Like, let's say when they did Man of Steel, I thought was a little too like a little too somber, and uh, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man, I thought was you know kind of too much like bat- the Batman movies because he's supposed to be this energetic, like you know, fun-loving superhero that cracks one-liners. Not uh, not like the somber one they had, like the little bit somber one they filmed. But Godzilla and uh, again Batman, like you said, Clover. I think that's a perfect parallel. Like I'm, I we know Godzilla as being serious, and I'm I guarantee anyone that saw Batman the animated series in the '90s knew Batman was serious, but no one took him seriously until mass pop, you know, the Batman Begins movies hit, and hopefully when this movie hits. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's anything wrong with still enjoying. 
um, the campier side of Godzilla and the more fun and lighthearted side. But unlike something like like your your superhero analogies were perfect. Unlike something like Man of Steel, the character started out dark. And at least right. he turns with Godzilla. It's not like Man of Steel, which was good, but they tried to darken the character when there really is no darkness inherent in that character. Godzilla started out in a movie that had a, a woman and her children getting killed in a rampage. So, yeah, Godzilla's had a bit of a dark past to him. Hey, well, hey, it, it was a little campy. I mean, remember, he almost ate a cow in the deleted scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's the best part about Godzilla. He can play any role. He could be really dark and somber. He could be campy and goofy. He could be somewhere in between. He can be anything, really. And I think that's what a lot of people really underappreciate about Godzilla. Is he only the campy because of the uh, you know the 70s movies that were uh, yeah, on Saturday morning channels, and that's, TV shows. And that's one of the reasons why I kind of like Godzilla 98 because it is a different take on the character. It's a flawed one. There's a lot of problems with it, but I mean, if we when if we don't let people do films like that, then we wouldn't get you know GMK or hopefully what this new film will be. I'm open to the character being interpreted in various different ways, and some work and some don't. But again, it's also like Batman. I mean, as many people love and you know go crazy over the Christopher Nolan films, there's still a couple of people who prefer Adam West, and you know there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's that's Batman is kind of the same thing. He can hit a lot of emotional ranges and still work in all of them. Just like Godzilla. Mm-hmm. They should just like form a club or something. Yeah. <laughs> the Godzilla Batman Club. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, was is that a real thing, Batman versus Godzilla? I know we have that listed on Toho Kingdom, but is that a real thing? That just blows my mind away. I think so. And personally, I, I, I would have been all for if they made that movie. <laughs> I, Me I too. would watch it. <laughs> Me too. Quickly, Robin, to the Bat Godzilla! <laughs> that would be incredible but um anyway the, also just tying in with the uh, release of the poster we've had a new viral website up called godzillaencounter.com it has been having pictures um i need to pull it up now that i mention it but um it's been having pe- pictures teasing that something big is moving under the ocean and heading in the direction of san diego Basically, the current rumor on the internet is that in some way, shape, or another, uh, legendary pictures will have Godzilla pop out of the San Francisco Bay. Not San Francisco. I mean San Diego Bay uh, during Comic-Con. And somehow this uh, viral website ties into it. Have you guys been following this? Or... Yep. I saw a few I've pictures of these like, when I first heard it on Facebook. Right. <laughs> Sorry, um, let's let's go in order. Tyler, have you been following it? Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I noticed a few pictures on Facebook, you know, sign up for the uh, newsletter, and it had the uh, uh, one story was about, uh, what, echolocations moving or an epicenter moving, mm-hmm. and right. the other one was, or uh, the other one was, uh, what, sounds underneath the ocean, uh unexplainable like no, loud pitched roars or something like a like a like the blurp or the what like the, the bloop the bloop yeah, yeah like that do you guys you guys have been hearing the uh, the rumors about Godzilla coming out of uh, the waters at San Diego do you think that's a real thing do you think they're going to use like some water hologram or something i have that's the first time i've heard that I thought they were just going to reveal the design, and they were just saying it's going to San Diego to show that he's going to be at Comic-Con. But that'd be cool if they made, like, a giant Godzilla animatronic pop out of the bay. 
Yeah, that would be pretty awesome, but I just can't see them doing that. They did something. I'll try and pull it up. I know the stupidest this is in like in China or something. There, they did like this giant water hologram for uh, uh, that Loch Ness movie, uh, Legend of the Seahorse or something. I want to see if I can pull that up. Uh, I think it, the water horse, Legend of the Water Horse. Yeah. What what did I say? Seahorse. Seahorse. Yeah. Water horse. <laughs> Legend of the Seahorse. Water horse, yes. I can't believe I got that wrong. Uh, anyway. Here, I'll post the link in the uh, chat box. If they did something like this, that would be awesome. I mean, that would be interesting, but we we also have to remember that the difference between Godzilla and the Loch Ness Monster is quite a few meters. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, technology hasn't improved since then, but it'd be... It'd be kind of remarkable if they pulled that well, off. Well, check out the the link I posted because uh, it's it looks pretty sweet um, for the Loch Ness monster one. Definitely shall. But I don't know where that rumor started, but I've been hearing that rumor on like Facebook and the TK forums, and everywhere. So probably because so many of the articles have like rise in them or something. Oh. Oh wow. Okay, uh, I neat. take my comment back. I take it back. Godzilla hologram form, San Diego. I'm calling it right now. I certainly <laughs> hope so. I mean, this looks awesome, doesn't it? It it yeah. does. It really. I mean, if if I mean if the Chinese can pull it off, <laughs> I mean, just imagine what the United States could pull off. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not go there. This is this kind of podcast. Our Jaegers last longer. We know that much, but. <laughs> Not as long as the Australian version. Though. Yeah. <laughs> One can only hope that Legendary Pictures actually made their own Godzilla, and it'll come out of the sea yeah. and attack everybody. They cloned it. They the made Mecha Godzilla. <laughs> they built like a giant version of that cyborg that Toho made in the '80s for uh, um, the Return of Godzilla, and it like barely moves. Cy Godzilla. Yeah. Like Godzilla. Yeah. I like that thing. It looks goofy, but I like it. Me too. That, what do you what do you guys think about the um, uh, another bit of news trivia that was just revealed is uh, a lot of the pictures have had letters highlighted in red, and um, today we found out that all the letters spell out Sarazawa, and that's actually um, the password to reserve tickets for the Godzilla event in San Diego. So, so for for a while there, the rumor was that Sarazawa was going to be in the film somehow, but it's been confirmed to be uh, how you get your tickets to the event. Yeah, I think actually putting him in the film would be harking back too much the original, mm -hmm. but I think it's neat that they're letting yeah. us know that they're they have the original in mind. Yes. I think it'd kind of be funny if Akira Takarada's character is actually Sarazawa in this movie. Yes. I was talking. Or or can uh, Watanabe? Because have they confirmed what character he is playing? I don't think so. Because I mean, I mean, I mean, the uh, Sarazawa was a young man. I mean, younger man in, in Godzilla 1954. So, I well, I should say Gojira. So, I mean, it could be. I mean, I, I'm not sure how Ken Watanabe is, but I mean, it's possible. I was kind of hoping we would get Steve Martin in the film, and no, not the comedian, the uh, the character Raymond Burr played. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want anybody else to replace Raymond Burr as Steve Martin, yeah. though. 
I mean, if they maybe did it like a, uh, I know Planet of the Apes, uh, or yeah, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, uh, the new one that just came out, they had a lot of references to like the old classics, like in newspaper articles and uh, the, on, all over the place throughout the film. So it'd be kind of cool if they did the same thing with Godzilla. You know, they have like uh, scientist discovers uh, new, uh, you know, new type of uh, element or, or some t- new type of chemical. And you see Dr. Sarazawa in the notes or like in a newspaper or like on the uh, teleprompter on like a television, you see uh, – this uh, a news guy named Steve Martin like announced like today we are having uh, you know uh, a pretty good day and here in San Diego everything is going fine uh, news reports are down but we hear there are some title readings moving so be careful if you're out there you know like something like that yeah kind of cool kind of like kind of like the yeah, X Men I wouldn't want any I wouldn't want any of them to show up as actual characters but if they sneak in cameos like that that'd be awesome kind of like the marvel movies like i mean x-men like x-men 2 even though the character this is how nerdy i am even though the character beast will later show up in movies uh, there's a scene in x-men 2 where television's on and we see a uh, uh, hank mccoy talking to someone so something like that yeah I, w- I would like that too something like that i mean i don't think knowing the cast now i don't think any of these characters are playing Anyone, with the exception of Ken Watanabe, uh, I could see him as Sarasawa, but I, I think I agree with you guys. I don't think they're rewriting any of the characters. If this movie were a period piece, maybe, but it's it's not. So, I think the last thing to be said about this website is that it also now it's been updated, and it actually has a link to a Godzilla app you can download. It's called the Godzilla Encounter. Um, the way I'm currently interpreting this is that it's uh, an app to use at the San Diego Comic-Con convention during the Godzilla um, encounter, which we'll we'll talk about more. But basically, it's just um, for people going to the con, which I'm sure they'll update it to uh, be used by those of us losers <laughs> who are so desperately wishing we could go. <laughs> um, I'm sure they'll have something going on with it where we can use it to interact with websites and things like that. But for right now... It's primarily for Comic-Con. It looks pretty cool. When you boot it up, um, I'm booting it up on my cell phone here. Um, it says uh, it has three main things to it. It says um, the opening screen says legendary Godzilla encounter. Use your Geiger counter to track down the atomic beast. Use your translator to reveal hidden messages. Use your camera to share your photos. Stay safe. The king of the monsters is out there. <laughs> I like that. Hey. When when you uh, and then there's like a little button to start and when you hit start this giant uh the sickle bladed uh, radiation symbol comes up and starts glowing and then it pops up with the um, encounter proximity Geiger counter thing that plays an animation of it moving back and forth and then it says you are safe for now the atomic creature cannot be determined at your location find out more at GodzillaEncounter.com and then it also has a camera option and a translator option which. Um, the tra- the options on the translator page says uh, unlock the legend, translate the signs to reveal exclusive content. So it looks like oh. you like scan stuff from websites or during the convention, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that'd be kind of that that might get into a little bit of trouble. Let's say if thousands upon thousands of people suddenly start walking the streets with this like their cell phone. So, like reading out your camera, it's like, okay, let's find Godzilla in the yeah. city of San Diego. <laughs> I 
Some guy just walks into a bank. Uh, my guy account is going off. You may want to open up your uh, vault yeah. quick. <laughs> it's um, right. I'm pretty sure it's tied into that warehouse thing. You guys have seen the warehouse, right? Right. Yeah. Do we know what uh, is her warehouse? Uh, the the building in San Diego with the legendary icon and the giant claw mark on it that everyone's speculating on if it's a claw mark or a Godzilla's face. Oh, I shall look it up right oh, now. Cool. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, let me see if I can pull it up for you. Yeah, I did not hear about that. Uh, Searching Godzilla Comic Con. I know um, for Star Trek Into Darkness, Paramount had a similar Star Trek app where you could, like, scan... Um, where you could scan, like, uh, transmissions and things like that. So this is probably kind of par for the course for movie, for big budget movies now. But it cracks me up that I have a Godzilla app on my phone. I'm kind of geeking out over that. Um, okay, I see it. Right. Right. Let's see. Hey, but yeah, that's really cool. It uh, for those who don't uh, who don't have this picture up, uh, it is basically almost just like a claw uh claw mark to a building uh. Like the center, like red, the, uh, the edges are pretty, and they're like colored like Godzilla's skin. And then there's like a little legendary sign over where the uh, vehicles enter and exit. Yeah, it's a legendary sign, and it also has like um, one another photo we've had of one of the d uh, doors has the Japanese kanji uh, Gojira sc scrawled on it. We don't know. I mean, with, what it is yet. With all this, I'm with all this. I'm really hoping some of the big hits come on. I really am. <laughs> you really hoping what? I'm sorry. Something big. I mean, they really show off something big at you know for Godzilla at Comic Con. I, I really think they are. I mean, we and one day. I mean, last night. I think it was either last night or it was Saturday. They also had that that 40 minute video from Gareth Edwards, if you've seen it, where he's saying that yeah, Godzilla's going to be at San Diego, and then we had the poster and the app. And the website. Um, I feel fairly confident that they're going to show something. I really don't want a repeat of last year where we don't get the trailer. Yeah, I don't think they'd be able to get as much of the blurry little stuff. Big. Yeah. yeah. Referring to the picture that we're discussing, looking at us here. Yeah. I, I don't see the face that a lot of people talk about. I think it's just a red yeah. building, like flash marks or something. Because if it's a face, that's a pretty messed up Godzilla. Mainly what <laughs> mainly what I see, I think everyone's talking about is like right in the middle of it. There's this big red spot, and I could I can interpret that as an eye. The rest of it, no, I'm not so sure. But once or two red spots. There's one at the top of the building, but there's like one really big one. Yeah, I guess that could be like the eye and the nostril, but personally, I don't see it. Yeah. Same here. Oh, I love doing this stuff. I know some um, sometimes people can overanalyze it, but I love doing this stuff. It reminds me of Cloverfield, and that's always a good thing. <laughs> but I'm I'm really shocked to see Legendary put so much stuff out there for Godzilla because, I mean, uh, the trailer I know was a big surprise last year and a very warmly received one. But you know, this is marketing that kind of exceeds the kind of marketing that like Superman would get at Comic Con, at least in terms of Man of Steel. I don't think Man of Steel 
or the last Batman film, had anything this big going on at Comic-Con. Well, I don't think those two characters in particular need it. I mean, they're really well-known. Yeah. Godzilla's well-known, but he's not, you know, as as much of an icon here in America as those two. So I can understand why they're doing more. Mm-hmm. Me too. So I, I think that basically wraps up the news. If there's any uh, news articles you guys want to mention or anything I've forgotten... I would just like to say for the Godzilla Encounter website, I like that uh, the one they mentioned, the epicenter moving, I really like that that calls back to uh, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, where I hear it's the moving epicenter. And the one where the ship report, where I see a black iceberg, that, that just reminds me of Godzilla, uh, King Kong vs. Godzilla. I don't know if that was the intent, but that's what I get. Yes. That and that... The moving epicenter... Uh, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I talked too much. Anyway, you go. Uh, I was going to say, the moving epicenter thing kind of reminded me of Baragon in uh, GMK. That's what right, it that was you know, reminded me. Yeah, that's kind of one of those staples that shows up in a lot of the films. Mm-hmm. I like that they're including that. They're definitely reminding us they have the old film. They know the old films. They've uh, seen them. They know them, and they want us to know as well. Um, by making the password Sarazawa, yeah. They definitely know it. Do you, how involved do you guys think Toho is with this? I think after uh, the 98 film, they're going to probably watch it pretty closely. Yeah. Agreed. I, I would agree, probably. Just the thing that strikes me as odd is, I mean, Toho signed off on on all the stuff in the TriStar Godzilla, but I guess they, they're playing it closer. Manu. Well, I, from what I understood, they signed up on the design. I've never, I didn't, haven't never heard of them say anything about them signing off on the way he acts, which is my main problem with that movie. The design looks neat. It's not a traditional design, or, you know, it doesn't really hark back into the older designs, but it was not, it was neat. It was mainly the way you run away and yeah. have babies and stuff. It was just very, very ungodzilla like. It was, it was the behavior, not the design. Right. I mean, Toho I, to does seem to be watching this very closely, but wasn't um, wasn't one of the people who... I mean, this project started out as Godzilla 3D to the max, right? I think so. I know that was one of the rumors. Yeah, with a... Was it Deathlock? Yeah, the, like the the clone of Hedorah. And it was it was pitched by the guy who directed Godzilla vs. Hedorah. I would try and say right. his name, but I can't pronounce Japanese names, so... <laughs> I didn't feel she actually... Go ahead. Uh, Yoshimitsu Bano. Yeah. Right, Bano. Yeah, that's... And, um... Yeah, that's who it was. The, the last thing I wanted to mention about what you said about the black iceberg. I love the last line. The iceberg, it saw us. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's great. I really like that they're treating Godzilla as kind of this phenomenon. Almost kind of like these like, legendary creatures that the first person. Very, very primal. Very force of nature mm-hmm. type of thing. That was in the uh, kind of the later films, and, and just from all we've seen, just like you know, all the pictures, all the videos, a lot of it looks like what you see in a national in a national natural disaster or national disaster, either one. Mm-hmm. They're always the soldiers evacuating the wreck the wreckage. I think they're really going to treat Godzilla in like just a just a huge primal force, not really not anything that we could really understand as humans. Or we could understand it, but we can't do anything about it. Like like how we can understand a hurricane, but we can't stop it. 
like, like something like a hurricane where you can sit there in a lab and learn all about it, but when you're actually in the middle of it, there's nothing you could do and yes. nothing you can comprehend. You can just sit down and hope you survive. You guys don't think, because, I mean, um, we, um, you guys don't think that they're going to pull what a lot of people kind of assume is that they're going to just, like, have our military solve everything, do you? I don't. Uh, I'm not you sure. mean, like, solve his origin, well, or just, like, solve the problem? Solve the problem. Stop you know, like, Godzilla, be able to stop him and everything. Uh, I think that would defy the movie, because I think the original, the, 19, the 98 Godzilla, I think the one thing that a lot of people complained about was the fact Godzilla was killed with, or Zilla, was killed by missiles. I mean, Godzilla can, Godzilla can take a beating. We've all seen, like, from all the films, like, you, you see him, he gets, you know, punch after punch, you know, bite, beam, you know, ray, you know, everything explodes against him, and, you know, and he still comes back or holds his ground, and it, it just, he, everything under, everything except the kitchen sink, well, sometimes, including the kitchen sink, is thrown at him, he's still fine. Mm-hmm. And only, only, you know, in the rare instances, like his meltdown, or like the, uh, Aneb in Iolante can, you know, something, find a chink in his armor. Yeah. So I don't, I, and I, I think they're going to keep with the original and say, you know, keep him alive. Also, well, okay, may, okay, that's a bad, you know, he doesn't live in the original, but I think, I think he'll live. Mm-hmm. And I also think just going from movies like, um, uh, again, one of my personal favorites, Cloverfield, that are, we've been in a position to kind of have these destructive scenes on film and be much more dark with our monster movies. Because I don't think prior to Cloverfield, we've done a monster movie that echoes the original Gojira in that kind of sense. But I'm I'm really hoping they're going for that, for this vibe. That it's kind of a horror film. I'm kind of hoping for a horror film vibe. I want to be scared of Godzilla. I want this Godzilla to be terrifying. I would say I want it to be somber and uh, maybe not dark, but grim. Like you know there's real danger. There's lots of people dying. I'm not sure if I want it to be scary. But I w- would also maintain that the kind of themes from the earlier films, that the only thing that can defeat Godzilla is something potentially more destructive than even him, mm-hmm. like the oxygen destroyer or the meltdown or the volcano they dropped him in in uh, uh, the 84 film. I think they're probably – I think it's going to be a more bittersweet ending because we know there's going to be other monsters or multiple other monsters even. I think it's going to be kind of a thing where they – they use Godzilla to defeat the other monsters, and even though they're gone, they still have Godzilla running around. They can't get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Plus, so it'll I would be a, have to... Oh, sorry. Yeah, it would be a victory, but not a huge one. And, plus, uh, plus, if I could add one thing, Legendary and legendary likes money. Toho likes money. Yeah. And if we all learn... That, from one thing, if we all learn, know this, that we know that killing off Godzilla is not going to help them make more money. <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, everybody loves money. Yeah. <laughs> I like money. Me too. Yes. But having one Godzilla film or having a Godzilla trilogy, I think Toho's looking at this right now because they're going to make more money on this film if it like does very, very well than they would if on any normal Godzilla film they've ever made. So having, like, let's say a Godzilla trilogy would be in their best interest than just having one a one-off Godzilla film made by Legendary in the United States. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I don't think they'd want to ever kind of echo anything from the uh, 90 Up film either. Because, you know, Godzilla died in that. A lot of people didn't like it. I think they're going to try to avoid that type of ending then. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they're going to avoid a lot of things from the 98 film. Like right. the fact ba- that the entire film was basically one bit example of what not to do in most instances. Mm-hmm. So I find it very hard to think that they're going to do much wrong that the, that the 98 film did as well. Yeah. I think that about wraps up the news. And um, I guess we should move on now to our real big topic. Uh, Pacific Rim opened last week. All of us here have seen it. So we're going to give just kind of a general roundtable discussion on it, whether we liked it or hated it, what we liked about it or didn't like about it, what Kaiju were our favorites, what Yeagers are our favorites. But before we do that, I think I should go ahead and warn you that if you're listening to this and you have not seen Pacific Rim, we are indeed going to spoil it. We're just going to talk about every all aspects of it. So if you haven't seen it, um, hit stop now, come back later, go check out the film, because uh, beyond this point, there will be spoilers. And if you haven't seen it by this point, shame on you anyway. Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, I think you can tell we all liked it, but... uh, I'll I'll go ahead and um we'll do this roundtable real quick. Um, I'll call out a one host at a time and I'll ask them to give kind of their their brief summary or brief thoughts on it. Um, so we'll start with um we'll go in reverse order. We'll start with you, Hayes. All right. Uh, so when you say brief, you mean just give an overall summary that maybe go into things later? Yeah, yeah. We'll go into specifics later, but just your general thoughts All right. on it. Just overall, I think it definitely had some storytelling issues and some lost potential. But overall, it was very much the kind of film we hoped for. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. And even though I do have problems with it, I would definitely see it a second time if I get the chance. All right. Jacob? I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was fun. There was – I have to agree with Hayes. There was some story issues, and and character development – uh, it was a little light, but it, there was still more character development in all Michael Bay Transformers movies together. But yeah, <laughs> but uh, and the final fight could have been a little bit better. Or the Hong Kong fight was so fantastic. So I mean, for the final fight to be a little bit lackluster, it it, it was just it bothered me. But I don't know that it was a fun movie. Cool. And uh, Tyler. Tyler, you there? Hello? Anybody? I think we lost him. <laughs> I think so. Right now that he's gone, we can talk about him all we want. <laughs> no worries, we'll get him back. And I can edit this or whatever. But um, I'll go ahead and pause the recording. Sorry, uh, I'm back. Cool. Oh man, we didn't get to talk about you yet. I was just going to make fun of your last name. Tree Shock. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, did, I, did we lose someone? No, we didn't lose me. I'm, I'm still here, but I don't know why it disappeared for some reason. No worries. Um, All right. Uh, give your thoughts. Okay. Well, my thoughts on the film, I, I really did enjoy it. Uh, there were a few turns that I didn't see coming, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, yes, uh, I felt the character development in some instances did feel forced, and I will admit the best character out of the bunch has to be Pentecost. I mean, he really... Every character he talked to or any scene he was in, I really found myself drawn to. 
So, but in any case, overall, great monster action. Uh, awesome character as Pentecost, and I, I really enjoyed it. I really did. Cool. I guess I'll go um, wrap this little part up. Um, I really enjoyed it, too. I felt like a lot of you guys that... I think we all kind of have the same problems. I felt like the final battle was a little lackluster in comparison to Hong Kong. I felt the trailers uh, promised a lot more that wasn't in the film. I expected to see, like, I mean, like, Coyote Tango I expected to see, and that robot was only in the flashback of uh, one of the main characters real quickly. But um, overall, I feel like it could have had a lot more in it, and I thought it should have had a lot more in it. It was still really, really good, and I still had a blast watching it. I think the stuff... I think it could almost be a compliment to say that I felt like it needed more, that like I I wanted to see more. I think that could like, it's both a, a darning and a, a praise because it's like I felt like it should have had more. And I also really wanted to see more. But um, the characters were kind of cliche, but they didn't really bother me. I felt like I think I think I've heard from uh, from interviews and stuff that Del Toro wanted the character to be, be kind of cliche to kind of play into that tradition of the monster movies and the tradition of these characters but despite the fact that they were cliche they did new ways to make them feel different like i love the story between uh mako and um uh the male protagonist i can't whose name escapes me at this moment riley riley yeah is that how you say it? riley uh, Raleigh or something like Raleigh. that. Raleigh. Yeah. Something close, yeah. The, 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 the relationship between the two I thought was done really cool. I, I thought it was neat that, to have a romance film where, or not a romance film, but have a romance subplot where the characters don't actually kiss or something like that. Because with Michael Bay, it would be like gratuitous and over the top and pointless and stupid. But I thought it was well done. Yeah, I like how it was more subtle than what you'd see in your typical Hollywood movie. Exactly. I appreciate that the the romantic plot was more of a subtext type thing where it wasn't just overt in your face. But honestly, I would have preferred if they just had a really close bond as friends. Because uh, I feel like there's a serious lack of uh, male-female friendships that don't turn romantic. In the film or just in films in general? Uh, just in films in general. Mm-hmm. I mean... I really can't, off the top of my head, can't think of a really well-known film that's well-known for a male-female relationship that isn't romantic in any way. Mm-hmm. That's just purely platonic, but still as strong as a romance could be. I, I will say this. I think I read there was a kiss scene between Mako and Riley that was cut from the final film. So I don't know if that was to keep the romance more subtle or to imply that, like you were saying, they were close friends, not really in romantic i think it could be interpreted both ways but i think that generally it was it was pretty obvious that they were uh going to get together mm-hmm. after the events of the film well you don't know hayes maybe they were just friends with benefits i mean do you really know uh, that's true i guess <laughs> but uh I'd rather I, I'd know. <laughs> one other I'd... thing that i would uh Note about the characters is it had a quite a diverse cast for uh, a you know a Hollywood blockbuster. I mean, probably one of the most diverse casts we've had in like a major blockbuster. Right. Yeah, because uh, Del Toro said that he wanted to see, he wanted to make a movie not about a country saving the world, but about the world saving the world. I really appreciate that uh, that idea that he expressed in this film. Definitely. Well, I mean. 
I agree with that, but I will say at the end, it is the American Jaeger at the end that saves the day. Well, I think by this point, it's like countries and stuff have stopped existing. Yeah. Because, I mean, they're all united by the kaiju. That's kind of the main point of the film. Kind of people who wouldn't get along otherwise working together to do great things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, and to the point, I mean, the co-pilot was uh, Asian, so I mean, Japanese specifically, so. But, um, I guess I think that's a good segue, just talking about nations and Jaegers. What what were your guys' favorite Jaegers? Do you have one? Mm, Striker Eureka for me. I mean, it just, it, I mean, Gypsy Danger was, I, I mean, yeah, obviously the film was centered around uh, her, as they put it in the film. But Striker Eureka was just like this heavily armored ultimate. I mean, it was the toughest, biggest. Yeah, I know, not the not the strongest, but it was the fastest Jaeger, and it was sleek and it pow- it looked powerful. So mm-hmm. that's one I uh, that's one I liked the most in the film. Personally, I, I my favorite. I love all of them. I really like all the designs and all the ideas and concepts behind them. I really love that they all look distinct without, while still looking like robots. Something that the uh, the Bay Transformer movie sometimes kind of lost. But my favorite would have to be Gypsy Danger, just because uh, she has a very basic, simple design, but it still gets every idea that a main hero robot should get across. And I thought that was just really efficient how they did that. And I loved all the uh, the Western cowboy imagery that Del Toro talked about putting into her design. What were some of those? I missed that. Uh, he talked about how he, he can't, she kind of walked around like a street fighter or a you know John Wayne or something. She kind of had a strut, and she, well, she was a gunslinger. She was the only gunslinger among the uh, the Jaegers you see in the film. Uh, yeah, she did have kind of a uh, a pistol in a way. Right, and she had a uh, red, white, and blue color scheme, although it was done in a way that was not, you know, gimmicky at all, which another thing I really like how they did that. They get all these influences and, you know, ideas into it without making them too obvious. They're all simple, but they all have a lot of complex ideas going behind them, which I really think is the best type of design for any type of monster or character or anything you can do by packing a lot of ideas into a simpler look. Definitely, I, I I guess I would have to say, um, for me personally, uh, Gypsy Danger, just because it is the hero Jaeger, and I lo- I really liked Crimson Typhoon and Chernal Alpha, but I don't think I liked them as much as most people, so I'll I'll say um, uh, Gypsy Danger. Plus, I've always been more of a kaiju fan than uh, just a mech fan in general, unless the mech is something right. like unless the mech is something like a um, Mecha Godzilla or something. I've always been more of a kaiju fan, but I'll go ahead and say Gypsy Danger. I mean, she got the best scenes. I did feel it was kind of, um, except for like Striker Eureka fighting the the creature that busted the wall in uh, in Australia in Sydney. I I felt like all the other robots did not really get a chance to shine, like uh, Gypsy Danger did. Right. I, I felt kind of one sided in that. It's like, oh, Crimson Typhoon gets in a couple of hits, he's down. Ch- Cherno Alpha gets in a couple of hits, he's down. Uh, there goes a Striker Eureka. Now here comes Gypsy Danger. Boom! Here's the action shot. Boom! Here's the you know, the pose. Here's the, I was like, okay, we get it. It's the hero. Yeah. I think my favorite Jaeger, like, design-wise, was Coyote Tango, which kind of bummed me out that it didn't really get to shine that much either. It was just in that brief flashback scene. 
But uh, Striker Eureka, out of the main ones, was probably my favorite Jaeger that we saw uh, throughout the movie. So, Yeah, who knew Australia could make an awesome-looking and a very powerful Jaeger? Mm-hmm. I like that one. It, it, correct me if I'm wrong. It was the fastest one, right? That's why they put the nuke on it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, right, the, it was the, uh, the fastest and the only Mark V. The only Mark right. V, okay. I, I, With the uh, highest kill count as well. That makes yep, sense. Yep, 11. Yep. That makes sense. Well, Gypsy was Mark III and Cherno Alpha was Mark I, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And uh, Crimson Typhoon was Mark IV. So we had all the Marks but uh, two. Cool. That makes sense. Maybe, was Coyote Tango Mark II? I don't know if they would have stated that in the film. He was a Mark One. He was one of the original Jaegers. Okay, that makes sense. See, I wish we got to see a whole lot more of the Jaegers and stuff. I mean, I know... I mean, I knew going in that it was the 11th um, hour of the Kaiju War, as one of the actors put it, but I, I did expect to see Coyote Tango. And there's, like, that one that you see in the news flashback where everyone's having the parade for that's called, like, Romeo Blue or something like that. Right, and there's another one. I can never remember the name. It's, like, a Tactic Ronin or something. Yeah, Tacit Ronin yeah. or... Tacit, is that how you, okay, I've been saying a tactic the entire time. But yeah. I, I just, because I remember once once we get, I like the idea of the setting up a resistance and teaming up with a Hannibal. Who, we'll get to him in a bit, but I like, um, I like that. But I remember once we got to the base and like we have four Jaegers, I was like, that's it? I remember going, oh, I thought there were more. But, um, I gotta say. Yeah, I, I feel like, uh. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, I feel like the, those of us who were following the film closely kind of got gypped because you there's a lot there's just tons of Jaegers and Kaijus that they put into their uh, production bible as they called it mm-hmm. uh, that they didn't make into the movie so it's kind of like they tease you with all this this entire big world that they've built and you only get to see the stuff on screen that they managed to fit into the movie. I felt like they, in the beginning of a Tales from Zero Zero that they talked about how they wanted the movie to fit inside the story instead of the story to fit inside the movie. But I feel in doing that, they made the Willows who actually followed it closely and had been uh, keeping up with it feel like we'd kind of been shorted from a lot. I feel like they they almost made too much to fit into one movie. And it was almost kind of wasteful, I guess. So I really hope they get some other type of uh, material. You know, comics, more graphic novels, uh, maybe some animated movie sequels if they get around to it. So we can see the rest of this we've heard of. I think that's a really good way of summing it up, actually. I think that was perfect. Well, I am perfect, so. <laughs> did, did any of you guys actually, how many of you have read the spinoff material? The no, Well, the novel's not out yet, but there is going to be a Pacific Rim novelization. I do intend to get that. Uh, I know there's the prequel comic and there's the uh, art book, which I do want to get. I've got the prequel and the art book. And I want to get the novelization. Nice. Like, I mean, is there any, like, I mean, I've seen the concept art that they've released online, but, like, are there any real big uh, secrets revealed in either of those books that really enhance the movie? Or I'd say more than anything else, they, it kind of spoiled it for me. Cause, like, I really wish I hadn't followed this film so closely because a lot of the things that were supposed to be the punch, the thing that kind of got you in the theater... I had already known about just from various readings from the from the stuff they actually released and from the leak stuff and whatever. Mm-hmm. Although it did manage to surprise me a few times. 
I think that's a good idea for a segment. Uh, what what's, what part surprised you guys the most? You mean like story wise, or just like action, like just anything in general? Yeah, anything in general. Something that took you by surprise. To be honest, well, I, I guess I'll go first. But to be honest, I was really surprised about uh, Otachi uh, and uh, Leatherback not being the only uh, kaiju at Hong Kong that the fact that Otachi uh, pulled a Godzilla 98 and was uh, pregnant yeah <laughs> that one that one came out of left field but it was satisfying because it was actually part of the plot like uh, the guy was like saying uh, the guy was saying oh there's supposed to be three kaiju coming you know in this one you know expect it so it's like okay this is like a test feed you know the aliens were using like seeing if they could do three and then also was fitting in the plot because I thought, well, now the you know since the second brain was destroyed, now they have a usable brain that they can uh, drift with. Mm-hmm. Right. It just was. It just wasn't a tie into Jurassic Park. What <laughs> <laughs> actually? That's something else. I'm sorry. I'm jumping all over the place. And sorry about that. But what did you guys think of the whole drifting concept? That was fairly unique. I mean, they could have just gone. The, the route we've seen in all the Godzilla films where they're, like, controlling, like, a cockpit, like it was just, like, a spaceship or something. What did you guys think of the, the mind drifting? Mm. <laughs> Don't all go at once. Well, I think when it comes down to it, that's kind of the core idea of the movie. Because uh, it, it's all about giving all of your trust and basically yourself to another person. Uh, completely. I mean, they're literally inside your head. They know everything you do. They see all your memories. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the entire idea the film gets across is about trust and uh, unity. And it just, it's a really neat idea overall because uh, I think they talk about the stronger the bond, the better you fight. I really like that idea because you don't have to be some kind of like genetically altered Jason Bourne to be a good Jaeger pilot. You just have to give yourself to another person. It's more about heart and fate than it is physical fitness or anything like that how well you complement each other right because i think uh, rally talked about how he and his brother in the beginning of the film they weren't uh, the best athletes and you know from people around them but it's because they were so close is that they were such good fighters no i would agree and i honestly like the fact that uh during all the pilots, you know, when they were showcasing all of them, it was the brother-sister or, like, the family bond. Because for Striker Eureka, it was father-son. For uh, Crimson Typhoon, it was uh, the, the, the a trio of brothers. And then for uh, Cherno Alpha, it was a brother and sister that uh, and both wife. were quite imposing. But, yeah, it was... For uh, Cherno yeah, Alpha, yeah. they were husband and wife. Oh, they were husband and wife? Oh, my bad. Yeah. But yeah, I, I liked the, uh, uh, well, that, I guess, okay, that makes more sense then. But uh, I, uh, I really like that idea. Like, again, like you said, being close in the drift works better than being, you know, trusting yourself and trusting the memories you have. And another thing, they, uh, Dr. talked about the really the kind of central conflict in the movie was what happened if you lost your drifting partner. So basically you give yourself entirely to someone and then they're lost. It's like you lose a part of yourself and how do you deal with that? And that's really kind of Riley's entire thing. And actually a lot of the characters, um, uh, Mako too, because she lost her family to uh, Onibaba, the crab thing. Am I saying that at this time? Yeah. 
All right, good. <laughs> Jacob, you're still here. Person, right? Okay, I yeah, I couldn't hear you yeah. for a second, so. <laughs> uh, personally, I don't think I would want to be a Jaeger pilot. Like, I, I just don't like people, you know, digging through my mind or you know, knowing everything that I would know, especially if they're right. you know looking at embarrassing memories. Or, you know, something like oh, yeah. that. <laughs> no, yeah, totally. but I think that's part of it. You have to trust completely. I mean, if I had to be Jaeger pilot, I, I'd probably just cop out and pilot a paraplegic Jaeger and, you know, <laughs> work with one arm and one leg. <laughs> I got an image of, like, a giant wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> Rocket wheelchair. Engage. <laughs> just kind of, like, through the sea, like, Now get over... Now get over here so I can slap you. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh man, that'd be great. That's what they do with all the the Jaegers. They got like ripped in half. They just stick them on wheelchairs. That'd be great. You could have like a senior citizen Jaeger. <laughs> be like senior destruction. Get off my I lawn. Have to t- now I have to go up the incline, like box around the city and. <laughs> yeah. The next kaiju evolution is a pair of stairs with legs <laughs> to defeat the real staircase Jaeger. <laughs> That's awesome. I thought that I think that um, uh, with the drifting, it could have been explored a little bit more. Um, something that I both really liked and didn't like at the same time about Riley's character is he seemed to get over the death of his brother kind of quickly. I wish there might have been a little bit like he seemed to have no problem whatsoever exposing himself to uh, Mako. I kind of wish he did. Like, it seemed like from the get-go he was uh, ready to team up with her, which, on the one hand, I liked. I mean, nothing, this isn't bad. It's just I would have liked to have seen more, because we saw how much of a struggle it was for her to drift with him for the first time. I would have liked to have seen him struggle with it as well, because he has a lot more. His trauma may not be as intense as Mako's uh, encounter with the, the crab kaiju, but he has a lot of trauma, too. So, well, he was when when they drifted the first time, he was the one who broke off first, and that's what led Mako to go chase the rabbit, as they said. Okay. So yeah, it kind of it kind of was him, but I think that's kind of that's kind of part of it because uh, uh, Riley she kind of opened up to her. That was kind of the reason they became so close so quickly because he was the only one who was willing to give her a chance. Uh, the other characters maybe because you know she was a girl and she was kind of she was kind of tiny and adorable. You didn't think she could fight. Mm-hmm. And Pentecost, because she was his adopted daughter, and he didn't want her in danger. Mm-hmm. And he was the only one to open up and say, I, I think she can do this. That was her first time drifting, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. Because they mentioned simulation kills. And I, I was curious if, like, do you have to drift in the simulation as well? I mean, I would imagine so. I mean... I would... Yeah, and uh, Tales, does, uh, Tales from the Year Zero, they're... Uh... Rally and Yancey are in a simulation and they're drifted together. So yes, they do have to be drifted in simulations to see how they do. So then that's kind of a that's kind of a plot hiccup then, I guess. If it, if it was her first my if it was her first my, first mind meld first drift in in a uh, you know, gypsy danger in the film, but but I did like that. I th- I mean I like the 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 chemistry between the two characters, and I like the mind drift stuff. I wish it would have been kind of cooler. I don't know. It was good. I just felt like it could have been explored a little bit, a little bit more. But I guess right. that could be said for the whole film in general. And again, I hope I'm not com- coming across as too negative on the film. It's just that, you know, this movie has a ton of great ideas and you want a sequel. You want more. 
Yeah, honestly, I think the ideas behind this movie turn are, are better than what we actually eventually got. I was a little underwhelmed. But going to the drifting, how he could have been explored more. There's one point in the movie where Rowley was talking about that he, how he was still connected to his brother when he was uh, taken and how he felt his pain and yes. his fear. I was kind of hoping he'd go on to say that because they were uh, the connection was broken so suddenly he still had that part of his brother in his head. So he was just constantly feeling his brother die, basically. Mm -hmm. But they didn't go into that. I was kind of disappointed. They kind of did. I thought that it was more about how he lost part of himself and, instead of rather gained part of his brother. Mm -hmm. I thought it would have worked better the other way, but that's just me. Well, Marshall Pentecost does have that line when he gets into the Jaeger for the last time to uh, um, Mako is that he will see her in the drift. So maybe that part, maybe part of a person who drifts with another person actually stays in your head. So maybe, I mean, that doesn't mean, you know, we should have still seen it in the film, but maybe that, that part of his brother really is there. So. Yeah, I think that was that was kind of pointed out. Mm -hmm. And because he lost his brother in Drift, that part of him is gone from his head. I think that was the main point. I mean, I, yeah, I, also, I, think Drift... I would imagine it would cause serious neurological damage. I mean, right. I would think they like, well, I mean... would like twitch. Like, I mean, I like that when Charlie... Uh, a day's character first mind melded mind melded i'm sorry drifted with a kaiju brain he was kind of like just twitching and like se seizing up i thought that was right <laughs> yeah i was thinking it was it, it was cool to see how when characters who weren't jaeger rangers did it to see how hard it was on them mm -hmm. and it makes you appreciate the the uh, rangers more definitely so what was or the fact that uh when uh rally was all by himself, like, they were making comments, like, you piloted a Jaeger by yourself for, like, three hours, and you got it to land, and, and like, literally, when he comes out of the cockpit, he's, like, delirious, he's looking all around, he doesn't even, and he just, like, falls to the ground, and it's like, yeah, that's, that's why you need someone else with you. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> Definitely. Which they also kind of went back to, because when, uh, again, Charlie Day, when he first mined, when he uh, drifted with the uh, the kaiju brain, he uh, the only way he could do it again to get the information they needed was to have a second person do it with him. What did right. what did you guys think about the uh, the kaiju drifting? Was that too much of a stretch? Or did you... I thought it was a neat idea. I mean, that's something that totally like... never occurred to me when we heard about drifting. So when they brought it up, I was like, that's actually a really brilliant idea. Why didn't I think of that? It's a concept that I would like to see explored more if they do a sequel or, like, it, well, a sequel, like, either in a movie or a novel, comic book, whatever. Well, that's what I, I, I enjoyed ahead. it. It was definitely a good plot. I mean, it definitely moved the plot forward, and it was, uh, it wasn't completely far-fetched because, like he said, it, all of them were hive-minded. So it was understandable how he, you know, find out all that information. Uh, uh, I, I, uh, I also like the fact that they didn't, they didn't use the full brain, at least the first time. He just used the secondary brain, which, again, I like that it was like a nice nod to Godzilla having, like, the second brain, you know, so I was, controlling his lower I, half. I was not the only one who thought of Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 2 with the second brain. No, you were not. Okay, good. As soon as he said, this one controls, you know, the lower functions because they're so large, like, over so two in theater <laughs> but uh no i thought i definitely liked it and it wasn't far, uh, completely far-fetched in the universe they made i mean maybe the device they used to drift was kind of far-fetched considering i think there were some uh, literal vegetables that were <laughs> components but uh uh no the idea was solid i thought 
but something that I was confused about. Who has the hive mind? Because the kaijus, I kind of would have bought it a little bit more if the kaijus were just like, if the portal was just like some Lovecraftian hole to another dimension of monsters and monsters were just spilling out. But these creatures, they're weapons. They're not people in that sense. They're weapons created by aliens on the other side. So who has the hive mind? Is it the kaiju or is it the aliens creating the kaiju? Are the aliens linked to their kaiju? Now that would be cool if if the aliens were like linked to the kaiju the way the pilots were linked to the Jaegers. Maybe that's it. That's an interesting point, but I think it was more like the kaiju had a hive mind. So it's almost like they all share the same biological programming to uh, attack populated areas and, like they said, get rid of the vermin, us. Mm -hmm. And that's also that way when uh, Newt drifted with the kaiju brain, they all knew. So they all knew to go after him. Now, do you think it would be the kaiju who would know to go after it? Or do you think it was the aliens that gave them that that mission, that programmed that into the kaiju? Because that that was kind of my problems with the, the invading aliens themselves. Well, I was like, well, who's giving the orders then? Do the kaiju know, or do are the kaiju well, just... In that regard, I would actually kind of confirm with the aliens were controlling them, because if you think about it, the stuff that, let's say, when he did, like, uh, go drifting with the monster, uh, the monster the first time, how would that monster know the aliens' plans from, like, years and years ago, unless that he was, the monster was actually linked to an alien that knew about it? Mm-hmm. I mean... Because when you're creating that thing, I mean, yes, it's going to be taught to destroy and whatnot, but is it going to be taught, like, the history of the alien race before? It's like, here, it's uh, Monster 101. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I think they're, I, 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 would, I think the hive mind includes the aliens control the monsters, literally, and it I, – I would have to say it's supported by the fact that uh, – what was it? Uh, Slattern? Slattern? Slattern. At the very end, he couldn't, like – mentally connect to the other monster like he had to roar and call it over like uh you, you remember that sequence in the uh film so i don't i think they're all connected but not like you know they're sending like mental thoughts to each other like the monsters wise i think they're being controlled by the aliens and they are all connected so the what i'd uh, i'd assume that the aliens can somehow they know what the kaiju know that's how they're adapting them to deal with the Jaegers like uh, Leatherback and Otachi did so efficiently. Mm-hmm. That would make sense. That was the one thing that was the one thing I was kind of dubious on. I, I'm, I'm not I wasn't too big a fan of having the alien race creating the monsters. I wasn't that big a fan of that because because it kind of is almost like any other alien invasion film. I was wondering, like, are they just like put like are they just like, you know, sticking it out the portal and just like, you know, let it loose? Are they? controlling them aiming them i i would have liked to have seen a, a scene then if they were controlling them where maybe the aliens had their own similar uh setup to the jaeger pilots where they were drifting with the kaiju i guess i guess that's implied but it just it just hit me in this doing this podcast with you guys that the aliens were linked to the kaiju similar to the humans were with the jaegers yeah that's a really yeah, interesting thing kind of about it Did you guys what 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 did you guys think about the um the aliens on the other side controlling the kaiju? What were your thoughts on that? That they were brothers from the aliens of Independence Day, to be completely honest. I mean, they looked very similar and mm-hmm. they both had the same expression when a nuclear bomb is drifting in front of their faces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, as as a 
ignoring that though, I thought the uh, the whole antiverse, mm-hmm. as uh, Goro, uh, uh, Del Toro puts it, I thought it was beautifully crafted. I was like, you know, the aliens obviously wouldn't put it at the bottom of the ocean. They'd put it like somewhere that you know above land, and I, I liked how, you know, all all the architecture and everything around, like the sun in the distance, and it looked very cool. Um, until you know it was nuked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the uh, the whole antverse thing was a good way to kind of extend the uh, homage to not only just the you know Japanese monster movies and the mech animes, but also also to Lovecraftian stories. Yes. And uh, mm-hmm. although I think the aliens themselves, they weren't as well done as I imagined they would be just reading the uh, the art book. Because in the art book, I really like this. Del Toro described them as having this, you'd look into your eyes and you would understand nothing because they're just so so different than us. It's like they're just insane. There's kind of an alien madness to them. We have no ways as humans to comprehend them. And I think in the film, they more just came off as kind of just blank-faced. So I was kind of disappointed in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm. while I have my problems of them, they were, they were also a direct homage to, I mean, the Exilians, the ones from Destroy All Monsters, and, I mean, because kaiju have had a ton of, there have been tons of kaiju movies where the aliens have controlled kaiju to use them as weapons, so that felt like a tribute to that. I think my main problem with the aliens was that they weren't really around that much for me to kind of get a proper feel or get a proper vibe out of them other than they just look like uh rejects from independence and that was just about it mm-hmm. it would have been interesting if it's been done before and again in independence day but it would have been interesting if if when one of the times uh uh charlie day's character who again i can't pronounce any of the names or remember them um when he tapped into one of the kaiju brain the alien spoke through him Again, that's been done, but that would have given us the chance to have both sides meet, as it were. No, agreed. And I, I think that's the one thing. Uh, uh, if they do do a sequel, let's say Pacific Rim 2, if they do do a sequel, I'm hoping they do explore the Antiverse more. You know, the actual characters of the aliens, you know, the, you know their motives, maybe it's more than just colonists or something. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I think that was one other part of the film that was kind of lacking. It's I understand they're like colonists, or, you know, that that part I got, you know, loud and clear. But like their motives, their culture, things of that nature, you know, that'd be interesting to see on the big screen. Like a, uh, I th- one film that really did it well, I thought was a um, District Nine. I mean, it with the home. I mean, you get you see the you see the aliens and you get their culture, you get their understanding throughout the film. I mean, yes, there are more prevalent, but uh, you know, maybe for a sequel, we see more prevalency, you know, with them. Mm-hmm. I think that the how they kind of got the man's first contact with the aliens, with a gypsy danger floating there in front of them, like some sort of a some kind of just a giant figure about to destroy them, basically. I think that kind of really fit along with the film that mankind isn't as hard to put down as they thought. And for first context, that's that's pretty badass. <laughs> you just see a giant robot floating by, and then uh, you just see it, like, waving, and they're like, what? And then boom. <laughs> That'd yeah, be, like, like the give, ultimate send-off. It's like giving them a handshake with one hand and destroying them with the other. I thought that was very <laughs> fitting It was for them, because they... I mean, just imagine they're just sitting there sending monsters through to exterminate us, 
and all of a sudden they think one of their monsters is coming back with the job done, and Gypsy Danger floats down and explodes and basically just turns ruins their entire uh, system. I think that's very very fitting in the theme of the film. Someone I read online, I forget where 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 it was. It was either on the Toho Kingdom forums or someone else mentioned that that scene gave allowed the aliens to feel the exact same fear that we were feeling from the kaiju. It was that it was their gypsy danger was their kaiju. It was time for them to get kind of a taste of their own medicine. And in that sense, I like that scene. I like the reverse and them getting yeah the, the taste of their own medicine. The ironic twist to it. The blowing up the reactor, I did think Independence Day too, and I love Independence Day, but it was a bit too similar for me. But I mean, I can go with it. And just sad we yeah. won't see Gypsy Danger in the sequel. Yeah, I think that's we'll one thing they glossed Gypsy over. Danger 2.0. Yeah, Mark, Mark Stick. I think they kind of that's one thing they glossed over is, is Gypsy's gone, and you know before Rally had shown this kind of deep connection with her. You know when he first sees her for the first time in like five years, he's just like almost speechless mm-hmm. and then he talks about not seeing her heart for so long mm-hmm. and i think that they could have put more more like you know loss in his interactions when he woke up because i mean all the Jaegers were gone that was it mm-hmm. and most of the pilots were gone too i mean what two survived i think the ending should have been more bittersweet than what it was because uh well, no, three because of her i mean five died in the hong kong battle and two died in delivering the nuke and they were literally like they were mankind's last hopes, and most of them were wiped out. I think they should have paid more attention to the tragedy of that, not just the triumph of we won. It would have been interesting if the kaiju themselves, but like something that I was kind of surprised by is when the characters melded, they acted like individuals still. That they like talked and acted like individuals. I was wondering if maybe they would literally be like one person moving at once, talking at once acting at once and if they did that then the jaegers then a third personality would be born and it would be the jaeger itself and if that makes any kind of sense no that would have been interesting but it would be interesting there were certain there were certain scenes that kind of said no to that because it was almost like they both shared the memories and whatnot but they didn't they didn't like control their minds right then because i mean when Mako, like, deployed the chainsword, Rally was like, what? And then you see, uh, obviously, Gypsy Danger deploy that thing, and <laughs> the biggest surprise of, like, oh, that's new. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing. Seems like that made me think, huh, I guess they're not as one as, as I thought they were, because they were both shocked and surprised. Because he was shocked and surprised that there was a new weapon. Her, I was just, I was kind of surprised at the fact that they would have to talk, if that makes any sense. Well, I mean, if it is like the right and left hemisphere of the brain, I mean, some, you know, one specializes in one thing, one specializes in the other, and just because they communicate doesn't mean, you know, it's the perfect cohesion. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. I kind of got it where they, even though they were sharing all their memories and thoughts, it was, I mean, I mean, really, can you, can you recall all of your memories just whenever you want to, or do things just kind of come and go from your mind? I think you don't see, like, everything about them. I think you see what's most important. But I think, I mean, I think it would take a lot more time to drift if you have to see everything about the other person. Yeah. Although that is kind of one of the things that doesn't quite make sense because uh, Riley didn't know about Pentecost being sick or the sword or anything. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's not a complete process, or they just they just didn't think about that, I guess. Yeah. 
Well, or you could think of it like a giant gloss over. Like you see the pictures, you see the flashes, but you don't know what they mean. Right. So like, you yeah. get the overall idea, not the specific details. Exactly. I mean, I, and that's why when, uh, in fact, th- it actually makes sense because when Mako froze on a memory, and you know mm-hmm. she focused on it, everything went haywire. So you're supposed to just let them flow, not think about them, just focus right, on right, right. controlling. You weren't supposed to chase the rabbit. You were listed, You were just supposed to let it rush over you. That makes sense. That does. Ha! <laughs> I brought up a good point. Yay! I think that's I, first. I think this is cool because normally I, I would have thought we would have been talking mainly about the monsters and fights, but I think it's neat that this it's a testament to the quality of the film that the ideas it explores beyond robots punching monsters in the face are deep and interesting <laughs> enough that we have these kinds of conversations. I think that's a good mark about the film. That that pretty much puts it over the Transformer movies already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And while we're on the, the subject of, well, kind of on the subject of Mako's flesh, but I would just like to say that I think that's one of the most well-done scenes in the entire movie. Yes. That entire scene, it was just so just so heartbreaking to see that little, little Mako just kind of wandering around lost as this giant monster goes after her. It was scary. I mean, I, 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 mean, it, I think since Cloverfield, except for just visual uh, looks, like as a kid I was freaked out by Hedorah, and maybe once or twice, but I never really found giant monsters scary. But scenes like that, like the flashback, and when uh, Charlie Day's character is being chased by Ortachi, the kaiju were scary, and you felt what it would be like to be in that situation, and I love scenes like I, that. I really mm. think that that scene made me feel as helpless as Mako probably felt right then, because I couldn't do anything to help her character. I just had to sit there and watch what happened. Just like just like uh, Although, uh, Riley's character, too. Riley, yeah, that's true. Although that's one thing I think they kind of lost the potential for in that scene is when they had the reveal of Pentecost being her savior and adopted father. They kind of they tacked on later. I felt they kind of I just shoved it in somewhere. I thought it would have been much more meaningful if the memory played to in full and we had seen uh, Coyote Tango arrive and save her, and that kind of that calmed her down and made her put down the plasma caster that she was about to uh, obliterate everyone with. Instead of pulling the plug, mm-hmm. I think that would have said loads more about her and Pentecost's relationship than uh, the uh, kind of the extra flashback did. Yeah. Uh, real quick, while we're on this character, something I wanted to mention. I read this article today where there's, um, I think there's a scene where uh, he says goodbye. I think it's the scene where Marshall says goodbye to uh, to Mako when he's getting in the Jaeger for the last time. And um, oh, or, or it's at the end. I'm I can't. I'm trying to remember where it was. But uh, Mako says one last goodbye into her radio, and it's in Japanese. According to uh, Travis Beekham, if that's how you pronounce his last name, I'm sorry. Uh, the man who wrote it, he says the line is "Sensei, I love you," which is pretty cool. Pretty appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think honestly, the scene where uh, Mako, little Mako, and Pentecost saw each other for the first time, that almost made me cry a little, because it's just like, they bonded with each other immediately, just like Jaeger pilots are supposed to do, you're supposed to give yourself to each other fully, and that's what they did, because they've both been part of this huge tragedy, mm-hmm. and they didn't really need any words to know that they needed to be together. Exactly. Um, I think we've just about ex- exhausted that that part. I wanted to move on to um, to the kaiju <laughs> now because th- those guys were what initially sold me on the film so i'm 
curious what your thoughts on all of them were. I'll we'll do one more uh, roundtable thing. I'll go around and ask you guys uh, what your favorite kaiju was. I'll start uh, uh, the other order this time. We'll start with uh, Tyler. Oh wait, my favorite kaiju. Yes. Um. Yeah, I gotta go with uh, I I gotta go with Itachi. I mean, she uh, she was sleek, deadly, and uh, pretty much put the wall to shame once she uh, spread her wings. So uh, yeah, it was uh, I I thought she was definitely the best kaiju, especially better than um, Slattern, who kind of I don't know faded out the very end mm-hmm. because I mean yeah he was the big bad but he wasn't like he didn't really do that much. You know, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it, it took a right. lot to put him down, but it, he wasn't. He didn't like freaking destroy a city by smashing down on it. He was big, but it wasn't like the. Well, Ortachi, Ortachi kept pulling out trick after trick. It's like, bam! It's a new oh, monster. Yeah. Bam! It spits acid. Bam! It has wings. Bam! It's pregnant. Yeah, I mean, she literally didn't stop spitting out. Tr- not even when she was dead did she stop spitting out tricks. <laughs> That's pretty much the ultimate, the ultimate crafty monster. If it still surprises you once you've sliced it in half. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, well, uh, what about you, Jacob? Ooh, I love Raichu's design, but I was disappointed that he didn't. They wasn't in the movie very much. So I think I would have to go with Leatherback instead. As favorite kaiju, like I love Raichu's design, and if he was in the movie more, he definitely would have been my favorite. So, yeah, I think I'd have to go towards Leatherback in, instead of Raichu for favorite kaiju in this movie. All right, you're up, Hayes. Uh, I really, really like Knifehead and uh, Leatherback, but I have to say the absolute. My absolute favorite monster in the movie was, like Tyler said, Otachi, because she was just the most devious thing on Earth. She just never stopped surprising them. And even though I knew she had wings from the trailers and reading about her and stuff, when she spread them for the first time, that was still probably one of the greatest moments in the movies. Uh, Just like how when uh, Jisby Danger shows up to the Hong Kong fight, it's just a very, very triumphant moment when uh, Otachi spreads her wings it's a moment where you know that Gypsy could go down. Absolutely. I don't. It's kind of hard for me to pick one. I don't really. I like the. I loved Raiju's design from the figures and stuff. I wasn't a big fan of the splitting face, but I loved Raiju's design. And then, like you said, Jacob, he kind of got killed. I loved uh, uh, Leatherback's face. I'm not really a fan of like the gorilla stance. And that kind of stuff, but I loved his his the, his whole the way his head was shaped and everything. Um, I've never been a big flying monster fan, so that kind of takes away from Ortachi for me. Even though she probably was the most impressive, I'm gonna go ahead and say I thought um, Knifehead was really awesome, but I really kind of like the looks of the one that burst through the wall in Sydney because it looked very Lovecraftian. It just looked very <laughs> unreal in a sense, like a and. Um, and I also like the crab monster, Onibaba, I think it is, from uh, from Mako's Dream. Because that one was pretty scary. When it, like, saw her and chased her, I was like, oh, cr- oh crud, that's time to run. Not, not a friend, not a friend, not a friend. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> not food. Yeah, I think Knifehead, he's definitely probably one of the most iconic monsters from the movie. Mm-hmm. If just because, well, one, his design is just really good. 
and the scene he showed up was really good as well. I think that's probably the best done scene besides Mako's flashback. Because I think the most like scariest monsters are the ones that you know are going to do something expected. The ones you know are going to do something that the characters won't think of and take one of them out. Mm-hmm. You know, the stuff like the aliens, the xenomorph, or the graboid. That they're smart. They do things you don't expect. They're very wily. And Naipe, I mean, just looking at him, you get that. I got that sense from him. Like he was going to do something and just mess Gypsy up. And that's what he did. Uh, you know, they were very cocky, Raleigh and uh, Yancey at the beginning. They uh, took a few shots at him until they took him down. And all of a sudden, he bursts from the water, throws Gypsies around, slices off one of her arms, and takes Yancey. All in, it had to be like one or two minutes. And it's just, that was very, like a big impression on me. Because he, he was basically the turning point in the Kaiju War. Did, did his design remind anyone else of a of um Gorian from uh Gamera vs. Gorian. Or Zegra. Zegra, yeah, Zegra too. I would go more in the line of Zegra because it just honestly, it really was like a giant shark circling its prey after Gypsy fired two rounds into it and it fell into the ocean. It was it the that scene the storm played out perfectly because it's like there's the raging waters and you don't know where this thing com- and then it just like burst out and just shredded Gypsy until it could finally put it down. I mean, it was... I thought it was it was a well-done scene, and I will admit, uh, probably my... Uh, out of the film, probably my uh, second favorite kaiju. Third being uh, Leatherback. I did... I wish Knifehead were in it more. I, I was hoping he would be in, like, the battle with Leatherback and everything, but I did really like him. The one thing I will say that's about the kaiju design that kind of bothered me... Some of the designs kind of ran together, like Scunner. It's like they took the head of Slatterin and put him on the body of Knifehead. Because, I mean, his body, if you look at, like, the uh, the Wiz Kids uh, Heroclix figures, his body looks exactly the same as Knifehead's. He's got a short tail, he's got two large arms, and then two short arms. Well, actually, the body is recycled from the CGI model from uh, Knifehead. They did it to save money. I guess they were... Uh... Uh, I guess the rhythm going over budget. That makes sense. Although I think with with the fact that they had to do that going, yeah, you keep that in your mind. I think they did a pretty good job of separating them in small ways. Like they, uh, Knifehead had these huge wild claws, mm-hmm. when a Skarner kind of had a, a more, more pointed straight claws, and he also the head was pretty different. I think Skarner probably had the most distinct head. Of the, all, and they all had crazy heads, really. Yeah, the, especially mm-hmm. Scunner and Slatter and had the most bizarre heads. The heads got more strangely long. Mm-hmm. I, I although I did like that the. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. The 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 what? Okay, I, I like that the kaiju kind of have a uh, an overall design theme. Because that, that makes sense, because they're designed, they're made. Mm-hmm. They're basically, each, each monster, new monster, is an upgrade of the previous one. And uh, I didn't, you don't see this as much in the art and the still shots and stuff, but in the movie you really notice that it almost looked they had, I think you saw it mostly on Leatherback and Skarner, but, but they almost had the tribal swirls and tattoos yes. and stuff all over that. That was neat. And I thought they they really stood out in the film, I think, more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that, that they had some kind of, they had unified themes and ideas, but each of them was uh, distinct and recognizable on its own. I think that's an impressive balance they reached there. 
a lot like what they did with the Jaegers, where they're each uh, they're clearly robots, clearly man-made, but they're all very, very different. I, and you can each tell, like, each one had their own country style. I mean, for, for like, China, you had very, you had agile and, you know, multi, you know, with, you know, more, I guess you could say more power. And uh, you had freaking Russia, which was just brute strength and brute defense. Mm-hmm. I guess those those were the two best kai, uh, not kaiju, best two best Jaegers that defined their countries. I mean, Striker Eureka, I'm not really sure what is sleek, agile, and deadly. About, you know, Australia, maybe <laughs> maybe the wildlife. I'll agree that. Yeah, I'll well, agree the wildlife. Everything but, uh, there wants to kill you. <laughs> exactly. So it makes perfect sense now. That I think. Yeah, about I almost think the designs that show up in this movie are some of the strongest I can think of right now. I mean, they're just very, very, very well done designs both on their own and together within the movie and the universe. I think that uh, even though I knew the uh, the kaiju designs at the end battle, by virtue of all the designs being similar and the fact that it was all underwater, the kaiju started to run together to me. I could still tell who was who, but I felt like that's the point when they kind of just started to kind of blend and kind of become the same thing. Again, again. I, I, was... I think the length of the final battle had something to do with that, too. If it had been longer, it probably would have been easier to tell. Yeah, the final battle, I mean, it was still really good, but I really felt like the final battle was underwhelming. I mean, especially in comparison to Hong Kong. I mean, the Hong Kong battle was just excellent. It was great. And just by virtue yeah. of it being underwater, there's nothing really to look at. I mean, the joy of giant monsters is seeing them interact with cities and like I mean like the one of the best parts in the whole movie is when Gypsy Danger takes the boat and uses it as a bat. You can't really do that underwater. It's like you're fighting in the desert. Well, I think I think the point of the underwater advantages, like uh, the uh, volcanic vent, how like Gypsy like uh, superheated the uh, the one kaiju's face off. I mean that was that was yes, Scunner. How he, you know, and he was still alive superheated. Yeah, that was a great moment, but again, there, under the ocean, there isn't really that much, uh, I guess, I don't know, perks in fighting? Yeah. Well, I think that was kind of that was kind of the point of it, because uh, the whole reason they made the Eggers is so they could match the kaiju, but once they're underwater, their movements are slowed down, so now the kaiju, they're just another class ahead of them again, and they're so much faster than the Eggers are underwater. I mean, right... They couldn't even see it. It was moving so fast. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely gave the advantage to the uh, to the kaiju. Man, I was so sad to see Raiju go out like so quickly. I mean, because I know there's a lot of people out there, like you, like you, Jacob, who uh, who are really looking forward to seeing him. And I was like, oh, that that was fast. Although I think yeah. they each of the underwater kaiju did their job. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raiju, he showed up and he took off Gypsy's arm, basically recreating the circumstance that happened to uh, Riley when he lost his brother, mm-hmm. and also making him rely on Mako entirely to finish the rest of the kaiju. And I guess it's kind of fitting that he died so fast, because that, that he he was speed. He attacked fast, he moved fast, and he died fast. Thanks, then. <laughs> and I was, I, was, I was kind of impressed by uh, Skunner, because he'd honestly been my least favorite monster. But uh, he survived a lot. I mean, he got stabbed through the head, through the neck, got his face burned off, and he was still ready to go help Slatton when he called. Mm-hmm. That's that's impressive. I was uh, happy to see that. 
and then Slatter himself, he was the one for when he was the Category Five, the big bad, and he basically uh, he took out Strike Eureka. He made her unable to deliver the load and pushed that responsibility on the Gypsy. Mm-hmm. So even if they didn't get the time to shine, like you know, like a Leatherback or a Otachi did, they each played their roles. Mm-hmm. I, I think Otachi comes away the big star on the kaiju side. Yeah, I think if people are going to remember any of the monster, it's going to be her, Leatherback, or Knifehead. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I mean, Slattern, yeah, yeah. I, I will give credit. I mean, he took a he took a nuke to the face and still kept coming, yeah. but uh, he really didn't have that, like, any, any, like, real tricks under the water. Like, he didn't, like, uh, fire a beam, or he didn't, like, deploy some cool ability, like... Uh, I guess knuckle uh, leatherback. Why do I see, keep saying knuckle dragger? Leatherback and Otachi. Those two seem more like uh, two, like they deserved category four. And I guess Sladen really didn't. I, I get the size, but really didn't deliver on the category five. Right, and they they kept saying this thing over and over that the kaiju are evolving. I mean, you had a. I mean, um, leatherback had a, a a giant EMP bomb on his back, which I have no idea how that works. But, I mean, Slatterin was just literally the big bad. He was just like a bigger kaiju. I mean, he didn't have any real powers or abilities beyond... that are more impressive than Leatherback's EMP or, or Tachi's flying and, uh, I guess, pregnancy. Acid. Acid, yeah. Well, I guess you could reason that uh, because Newt had drifted with the kaiju brain to learn other plans... The aliens and the kaiju also learned of the humans' plans to drop the uh, the nuke in the breach. Yeah. So they kind of just whip these three up real fast to guard it. Mm-hmm. I guess you could rationalize that. Although I was disappointed when uh, Slattern took the nuke, but when he when he slammed that down in front of Gypsy, that was one of the few moments in the film that really took me off guard. That I really appreciated that they showed that he wasn't done yet. Yeah. Although yeah, overall he was he was underwhelming as a final boss. Mm-hmm. Actually, my brother just informed me. Apparently, the uh, 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 Leatherback and Otachi were uh, top-tier Class 4s, while uh, Scunner and uh, Raiju were uh, uh, lower Class 4s. So it explains why, you know, again, like you said, they were quickly made just to defend the uh, breach. Yeah, that makes sense. And, I mean, there's not... And also, again, except for speed and agility... There's really not much you can do underwater. Like, I mean, you can't fly like Ortachi. You can't really spit acid in the water. just kind of diffuse. So I guess you really just got to go with your big, fast, heavy hitters. Yeah, I guess you could reason that Ortachi and Leatherback, they were attack dogs. Yes. But Raiju, Scunner, and Slattern were guard dogs. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I got to say, I was actually surprised... Um, and just going off of the kaiju, how much humor was in this film? I love the the yeah. whole. The at first I was like, oh okay, we're going the Godzilla '98 route. Even though I liked, it, I was like, that's a bit odd to go. But I do love the whole the whole joke of the pregnancy of Hitachi. How it took out a mm-hmm. <laughs> how it took out like the most awesome character. Well, at le- at least for a at least for a half hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of expected him have... to cut himself, cut himself out, but I didn't. But but once it didn't happen immediately, I was like, oh, I guess I guess it's not happening. 
Yeah, I appreciated the humor that came from the characters, like uh, like Newt. He was I liked him. He was a very funny character. Him and the Hannibal Chow kind of made this cute little duo. You know, they should get their own uh, sitcom or something. <laughs> but uh, I know just stuff like that. Like Pentecost said it was like you see those Russians back there. They can get us anything. Or the uh, one, don't you ever touch me again. Two, don't you ever touch me again. Yeah. <laughs> but when they put they shoved, like, the physical humor scenes in the uh, Hong Kong battle. I didn't appreciate that. Yeah. Because it, just, it wasn't fitting for the mood, because they were, they were fighting to defend lives, and five Jaeger pilots had fallen. And these were, these were mankind's last hope. These were the toughest people you could find around, both physically and mentally. And they had been taken out by these two monsters that were specifically designed to take them out. And they were, you know, making little jokes while they were uh, basically fighting to avenge the fallen pilots. I didn't like that. Yeah. The rest of the humor worked for me, though. I like that. Mm-hmm. The one bit of humor I will, will say kind of worked was to make sure uh, – let's double-check to make sure it's a pulse. I understood that because of uh, of uh, Knifehead, <laughs> like right. him just like remembering that. Like that one I got. That one was fine with me, like him blasting apart uh, Leatherback just to be safe. But, yeah, uh, yeah, point. Yeah. All- yeah. Yeah, but all the other like little bit, yeah, I would agree. It just didn't, it didn't work. I was mostly okay with it. I didn't really think until sitting down talking to you guys. I actually didn't put the connection between check for a pulse and knifehead. But um, most most of the humor worked for me, especially between Charlie Day, Ron Perlman, and the other scientist, the the mathematician. Right. When the humor came from the characters or the the uh, or something from the plot, that was fine. When they put it in there solely to be funny, I didn't like that. That makes sense. I like that. Mm-hmm. Did you guys, um, out of this may be a random question to ask, but did you guys see this in 2D or 3D? I saw it in 2D. 2D as well. I saw it in 2D, and I'm hopefully going to see it in uh, 3D. So, uh, my brother, uh, he saw it in 3D. He saw it in IMAX 3D, and, uh, would you mind if he came on uh said his thoughts? No, sure, go ahead. I, I saw it in IMAX sure. uh 3D as well, but sure, yeah, have him on. Special Hello guest there. star. <laughs> Hello. 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 Hi, this is the other uh was it Gray Shot, Trey, whatever you want to call me. Um yeah, I saw it um actually with another friend that the, the day after my brother and I saw it in um IMAX 3D and I got to say wow, that was a lot better than I expected. No, I saw it and I liked the movie, but seeing an IMAX, like you could feel every punch, every kick, every thud, every it was awesome. I was surprised by the 3D because I've seen I've seen a few 3D. Um, the best 3D I've seen all year so far, I think, has been the Jurassic Park 3D re-release, surprisingly. But like I saw Man of Steel in 3D and I just didn't even notice. I mean, the 3D was awful, but I thought the 3D in Pacific Rim was actually really good too. I think the reason for that was because Guillermo del Toro does a great job of liking the, like, I don't know, like, I, maybe it was just the how like, the film was cut, but because you felt so close and because it felt like, not as close as, like, a Transformers fight where it's, like, what is going on, mm-hmm. but since, like, you could definitely get a nice perspective on, like, them fighting, you could, like, get a sense, like, oh, my God, this is gigantic and huge, and it's, like, is the screen containing this? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which uh, I in felt the art- was- Oh, go ahead. Oh, in the art book, uh, Del Toro talked about how uh, 
he, when they told him they wanted to turn it to 3D, at first he refused because he thought it was just kind of a gimmicky thing to get more money. But as they kind of showed him how it would look in 3D, he said, okay, but on a few conditions, like it, nothing had to look like it popped out on purpose. And it had to be, it had to be depth, not uh, popping out towards the screen like, uh, you know, this really goofy Spy Kids 3Ds, whatever. Oh my so, yeah, gosh. he... He's yeah. So he he wanted it to uh, look good in 3D. He, that was a lot of his uh, conditions and efforts as well. So that was kind of taken into consideration that 3D is kind of a controversial thing. See, I kind of like it when 3D pops out, not in like a two minute of like the hand just moving, <laughs> but like at the beginning of this movie when the fish swim across the quote unquote star field. I kind of felt like those fish were popping out, and I, I like you know popping out stuff. I want the kaiju to pop off the screen. <laughs> In a monster movie, so I think that again the best parts of 3D is when you I don't say don't notice it, but when it is just subtly there. Like again, the fish being there, I thought it was really nice. Just like when piece of debris would seem like it would come out of the screen, or like it would come really close to you, but again, it, but you were still concentrated on. It's like it felt more believable 3D. Same thing, and that's exactly what I felt like Avatar. It's like it's not something like Resident Evil 3D. It's a lot. It's subtle, not in your face. Yeah. No, that was pretty good too. I was impressed. All right, I'm gonna give it back to my brother. Sure. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Okay, so uh, that was the 3D perspective. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think we just about covered it. Is there anything else that we should um, add on? I think we went into in fairly well, fairly good depth. I'd just like to mention real quick, we talked about this before the show, so I guess maybe we forgot to do it now. But uh, I think Crimson Typhoon and Sherman Alpha should have lasted longer in the Hong Kong battle. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, it, it wasn't like they were just uh, guys who showed up and they were in the background. They were the last Jaeger pilots. They were the best of the best. They'd survived so long because they did their job well. And they, I mean, they didn't last long at all. I would really would appreciate it if they sh- if they've been shown off more and then killed to show how much how dangerous Leatherback and Otachi are. Yes, agreed. It's kind of like Godzilla Final Wars to me. Like even though her GMK, um, even though I know that like the heroes are gonna win, I still want some drama, um, and I don't want it to end too quickly. I want there to be tension and. Having uh, especially Crimson Typhoon went out way too quickly. Yeah, but I mean, they. I mean, it also kind of in that it also showed like Otachi and Leatherback is two very very powerful kaiju. I mean, they specifically targeted the humans, and I, I must admit, the most uncomfortable death scene I've seen so far this year was watching the Cherno Alpha pilots just like drown inside of their cockpit and then before uh before a uh, leatherback just smashes them and you know causes the jaeger to implode he crushed them I mean, in that his was fist, just right? brutal right yeah, yeah but well, it was melted through the front mm-hmm. with the acids pushed them underwater so the water started flooding and drowning the pilots and then he crushed down on the uh, the nuclear core until it imploded and killed them yeah both those i mean as far as death goes those are both Pretty chilling, just the way the uh, kaiju targeted the con pods. Yes. But I would I would I would have liked it much more if it had been the at the end of longer battles where you think, hey, maybe the good guys are going to win right here, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden these kaiju turn it around, 
take the pilots out, you know, shut down Strike Eureka and are about to take the bat pilots before Jiffy shows up. Yeah. Now, do you, yeah, I, I mean, if everything kind of showed me in the in the movie, it was one thing. Never go in the water when there's a massive kaiju close by. It's like fight on land. If you fight on land, you're fine. Yeah. If you fight in the water, you're you're giving them an advantage. Don't give them an advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention, I I wasn't much of a fan of the beginning of the film, not with like the knife head fight. I really liked that, as I said before, but the little exposition, the montage of all the stuff we saw in the trailers already. I think that either, excuse me, I thought either this movie needed to be longer, or it needed to take some time out of the middle, which kind of drove on a little and put it in the beginning, so that we could. We, I thought I really really hope you're going to start off the movie with seeing the trespasser slash uh, axe head. Uh, attacked San Francisco and kind of introduce us to the idea of how powerful these kaiju are and how hopeless we are. Then go into the whole kaiju war where the Jaegers are developed and show us how the uh, Jaeger pilots became rock stars instead of just telling us. Mm-hmm. And then move on to the rest of the film. I felt it was kind of just a really short, brief, choppy beginning that they just wanted to get everything out of the way and throw us into the action. I felt they needed more development in the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. At the beginning, I felt we should have spent more time in that world, and we should have seen more... I would have liked to have seen more of the world desolate. Like, I like the beginning with the wall, seeing just the desolate condition and the sense of hopelessness. I would have liked to have seen more of that from around the world, not just building the wall. The sense that, yes... Right. I mean... Because, like, everything I mean, in they Hong talk about Kong how people... seemed okay. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Everything in Hong Kong seemed okay, except for, like, the church made out of the, the kaiju skulls. Like, I mean, we had all that great concept art of, like, building the cities around the kaiju. And it was fantastic concept art, but we should have seen more of that. I really wish the opening first five minutes were the opening first 20 minutes. Right. And, you know, they talked about how they had a ration. So, I mean, these people are they're putting so much resources in the kaiju war, they're starving. Yeah. I think you could have gone more into I think he could have gone more into the effects of Kaiju Blue, other than a single line later on with a Hannibal Hotel. Mm-hmm. And I think that the destruction of the wall could have been a bigger thing, because that was basically humanity's last hope. Yes. Uh, so they thought, besides the Jaegers. And I think that could have probably been more of a, uh, you know, the end is nigh scene than it was. So I think I think this movie's main problem for me was the, uh, the way they spent the time. Mm-hmm. I uh, didn't have any problem with the characters, really. I thought Riley was a little kind of cliche and undefined, but he got the job done as a central heroic character, and I liked the, all the other characters. Loved Pentecost, loved Herc, uh, liked Mako, but they just stretched it out more efficiently, more economically. I think it would have been a better movie overall, a better experience. Mm-hmm. Agree. Since we're speaking of uh, economically, I must admit, whoever came up with, with the wall idea in the film must have been uh, taking, must have uh, drank or suffered from kaiju blue to, too much. Because I mean, that just imagine all like building a giant wall around all of Australia, the entire West Coast, all of Siberia. Like imagine that, and then just imagine the amount of resources you could put in building like fifty Jaeger, or yeah, fifty Jaegers. Like, you could build so many Jaegers with all that wall. It was like, why? If we've learned anything from, like, the French, walls never work. They never work. 
<laughs> Someone in the movie was a big Attack on Titan fan. <laughs> well, I think I think the kind of general idea was that the I actually this is another interesting thing I read was that the separate governments of Earth dissolved and formed one big one, and that was the you know the bunch of faces you saw in the beginning with Pentecost. Mm-hmm. I think that when they saw that the Jaeger program was kind of falling under the rising tide of the Kaiju, that they wanted to have people move on. It's so like, hey, look, here's the next big idea that's going to save us, and that was the Wall. And when that started failing, they had no idea where to go, so they just kind of clung on stubbornly. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was that was the feeling I got that they were they were being politicians and trying to they were trying more to make the public feel better than actually be better. It might have worked better if it were tied into it that like um, they were building the wall and the kaiju appearances had slowed down, and then after Charlie Day's character makes contact with the kaiju and their masters, then the attacks against the wall begin and like, because their secrets out and their agenda and their motives are out and they start coming out in full blast. Right. That would have been a much more theatric, I think much more appropriate for the story. Yeah. Like generally the idea I get to this film, there's, there's too much world and not enough screen time. Yes. There was just so much that we didn't get to see or didn't get to see enough of. And I think this, I mean, I know Del Toro supposedly said that he's not going to do this, but this movie could really use an extended cut. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I, think, I would... I think huh? they cut about 20, 25 minutes out of it. Was it right. 15, 25 minutes, something like that? Yeah, something like that. I mean, that that would that, probably be a really good start, but honestly, I would watch a three-hour Pacific Rim. Oh, me too. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, you could say the same thing happened to uh, King Kong. Uh, they wanted to build this world up, and uh, well, the 2005 one, I mean. Yeah. They had to build this world up, build up the characters, and it really did turn out into an epic. But it was worth it because, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yes, I enjoy. Uh, yes, you know, it is a little, little long, but it's worth it. Every every time I see the movie, it's just again sucked up in the world and enjoy all the fights and enjoy all the action sequences. Right. I think a good movie, the length doesn't matter because you could ju- you just get sucked into it and you're there. And then when the movie's over, you're like, oh, four hours passed. I didn't even notice. Mm-hmm. I think that's the sign of a really good movie when you don't even notice the time passing, as opposed to when you're glancing at your clock all the time. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I could I could go for a longer cut of the film too. I still think it was really good, but I just felt like it had a whole lot of potential and it kind of. It didn't explore as much potential as it had. For what it was, it was really great, but it could have been even greater. Yeah, right. I mean, we all obviously enjoy the film a lot, yeah, but we all see it. <laughs> also agree that it could have been better. Uh, I think if they wanted to solve a lot of the problems, they should have taken some out of the middle and added it to the beginning and the end, and that would have made it a lot, lot better. Yes. I, I, I don't know. I mean, this is kind of dating our show a little bit because it's such a hot-button topic but um i have looked up briefly the box office results from last weekend and um according to nbc news who are not very reputable i don't believe but anyway they say that uh, pacific rim performed slightly better than predicted at the box office with a 38.3 million weekend tank but that it's opened up behind grown-ups 2 which was behind despicable me too uh that is correct and uh but you must also factor in the uh, international, uh, uh, the international worldwide release. It's been uh, only in 38 markets, and it's supposed to enter more uh, in the coming days, including Japan, which 
if it, I mean, if you know, um, there. I think this movie's going to do very well in Japan. I mean, that's just me, but you know, since they are the home of the giant monster movie, I think with such an international cast, I think it's not only going to do well in Japan, but well, in, very well internationally. So much so, it should uh, bring in a sequel. That's just me, though. Right. If you want to get competitive, I think that Pacific Rim will kind of appeal to the worldwide audience much more than Grown Ups 2 will. But, I mean, honestly, I, I don't get why so many people are worrying about this because, I mean, we didn't go to, see, go to see this movie to make it make sure it was successful. We saw it because he wanted to. Del Toro made it because he wanted to, not because he wanted to make money. This is about the experience, not the uh, the profit. It's just that the profits would uh, allow us to either go back to that world or not. I guess, and also, I mean, I mean we're re- we're reading into this. We're pro- we're projecting Godzilla onto this. I mean, at least I am. I'm projecting my concerns and hopes for Godzilla 2014 onto this film. So, yeah, I, I, I'm I think there's some merit to the Godzilla. You know, that we were saying that success is based off this, but I mean, when you consider the Godzilla is not a new franchise, it's a very very old one that a lot of people are aware of. And I mean, you pretty much know what's going to happen. There's no way they're going to say, hey, Pacific Rim didn't do well. We're not making this movie anymore and drop it. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's people are kind of letting the experience of the movie be tainted by the uh, box office when it's really not. It's, I mean, it's not doing bad. It's not doing as good as it we, maybe we want to. Mm-hmm. But I think it's doing well enough. I mean, if the Transformer movies can be successful, then I think Pacific Rim can. And the other thing that you have to keep in mind is uh, so far in the uh, worldwide box office, it is on track with what uh, World War Z was uh, was doing worldwide because it was an international again, it was more international than uh, a more international blockbuster, I should say, and it was on track apparently just like uh, World War Z and and it made I'm I again this is I'm this is just a comparison, but uh, it made two hundred seven million. So if Pacific Rim makes that back, it'll make back its budget alone in international mm-hmm. theaters. I'm hoping that this film manages to keep popping up in the top ten of the box office each week. It's like, okay, again, here's Pacific Rim again. And, oh, look, it's here again. It's still, you know, maybe not a runaway success, but people are coming to see it and coming to see it and coming to see it. Yeah, yeah I think overall this movie has been a success. I mean... uh for the people who thought it was going to be perfect, it probably was disappointing, or you know they're just kidding themselves or something. But I think it's much more a success than it is a failure. Indeed. And I, I just hope people will see that and go and see it and make sure that it makes the money back and more and means we get more giant monster movies. Watching this movie, do you guys does it? How does this impact? Your thoughts on Legendary's Godzilla? Did this movie give you more hope for it? Did this movie give you more concerns? It gave me pretty good hope. I mean, for me personally, I was kind of curious about the, you know, Pacific Rim. It's supposed to be this, uh, again, it, it is like the good, feel-good blockbuster. Humanity turns the tide. Mm-hmm. And these special effects are just amazing. You know, you see this, like, it's like, I could say this, Metropolis and Gotham City. Pacific Rim is Metropolis. You know, it's the night, you know, it's the, you know, super, you know, win and whatnot. And Godzilla's going to be the Gotham City. City. It's going to be the much darker, you know, much more gritty, but still is awesome. Yes. Like, the, and I'm super excited that if you can build a city in the world like that in Pacific Rim, 
I am just trembling at what Godzilla could possibly do. Right. Uh, I I don't really connect it to that much because the directors, or at least Hattori, seems to say that they're not really the same kind of tone. Pacific Rim is very saturated, very fun, very very kind of lighthearted, and Godzilla is supposed to be this somber, grim disaster movie. And I think, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, Legendary's going to have to work hard to top this. But I think because Pacific Rim came off as more in a, a light adventure movie than the kind of 11th hour doomsday scenario movie that a lot of people were expecting from just, you know, the situation, you know, it's the end of the world. I think that Godzilla can be just as good or not better without really – I don't think it has to outdo it. I think it has to do its own thing and still be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I have I have high hopes. I mean, I do expect Godzilla to be different from Pacific Rim. Does anyone else remember the rumor that Legendary was kind of floundering there for a bit and trying to get a script for Godzilla off the ground that they wanted Del Toro to merge his Godzilla um, to merge Pacific Rim with Godzilla? Does anyone else? Yeah, I heard about it. I remember that. I'm, I mean, I'm... I I recall the uh, messages about him not being able to. Uh... You mentioned Tokyo or mentioned Japan in the film, like it is because of Legendary's Godzilla. I'm pretty sure that was that was one I heard. Which I think it was sense, Hawaii. I mean, throughout the movie. Well, was it Hawaii? I, I th- yeah, well, I think is Japan was, uh, mentioned? I mean, well, I, I don't I, hope Japan ever showing up. I think Mako's uh, flashback is in Japan. I think it's Tokyo actually, but I think Adetol was told that he had to lay off one particular place. Because Godzilla was doing that, and just from what we've seen, a lot of people think it's Hawaii. But, you know, Hawaii is a small island nation in the Pacific where the monsters are coming from. You think it'd be natural <laughs> that it was one of the one of the first places hit, or you know, totally wiped out or something, if they were mentioned in the film. And it seems that a lot of Godzilla uh, scenes that we've seen so far from the pictures and videos are on Hawaii. So a lot of people think that's it. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I'm glad they didn't merge them. I do think the project should should have kept the separate tones. And I love Pacific Rim, so I'm happy we we get two kaiju films instead of one. But yeah, I mean, uh, if you have to write Godzilla into a movie, then you've kind of lost the point of Godzilla. Yes. You write a movie around Godzilla, not the other way around. Agreed. And again, they're not like this. They're they're similar movies, but they're not the same movie. They sit kind of parallel to each other. One's on the bright, happy, fun side, the other on more the dark, grim, disaster side. So they're next to each other, but they're not, you know, connecting. So I think it's good to stay separate for respect of both uh, franchises. Agreed. Did you guys stay till the end of the credits? Oh, yeah. Did you guys see the dedication to Ray Harryhausen and E.G., uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Ishiro Honda? Yeah. I loved yeah, it. Yeah, I think that was very, very cool of uh, Del Toro to do that. It was. Did anyone else catch the monster's growl, though? Yeah. Was that Godzilla? Uh, I'm not sure. It made me... I kind of thought it might have been, but I'd like to go and see the movie again and, and listen to it again. Just so I can figure out if it actually was Geisel's Roar or not. I want to say that it was, but uh, I'm just not sure on it. I know it wasn't his, like, iconic roar, but I figured because there was a lot of rumors of something special being at the end of the credits, which, um, 
uh, uh, Ron Perlman's return was an awesome scene, and I loved it. But it wasn't the end of the credits. It was the end of like the the big showy credits. But the full credits, um, it had that growl. And I mean, Godzilla. It's not a Pacific Rim sequel, but it's obviously Legendary's follow up to this. So I'm and because I'm so excited for Godzilla, I'm kind of choosing to interpret it as Godzilla's growl, but I don't know for certain. I will have to go back and listen to it. I only I saw the uh, Ron Perlman scene, and honestly, I was like, yeah, they, that was that was freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I did not catch the uh, growl. So when I see that again, I will definitely have to go back and uh, look it up. Yeah, I didn't hear it either. Although just based on what I've heard Del Toro say about on the subject with crossover, I don't think he'd put that in there. Because he, although he said he would like to do it, just because you know he's he's like us, he's just very eager and fanboyish about this kind of stuff. But he also realizes that they aren't really compatible. They they are not Rowley and Mako. They're not just compatible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't I didn't interpret it as like a, a potential for a crossover. I didn't see it as like um like Pacific Rim Two will have Godzilla in it. I saw it as like cross promotion. You didn't see Godzilla and, like, uh, Anguirus piloting a massive monster <laughs> Jaeger? There's trouble up ahead. <laughs> get, the, get the people from who piloted Kiryu to, like, start drifting. <laughs> that would be great. That would be awesome. Get, get, like, get, like, the bad uh, um, Matrix wannabe characters from Final Wars to try and drift. <laughs> yeah, wait, you can have a, a cane drift with Kiryu and then they pilot an even bigger robot together. Yeah. <laughs> be like a robot within a robot. Yeah. Uh, that would be that would be pretty hysterical. I the thought of drifting think... with Godzilla is kinda of scary though. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> I think he would I think he would die, honestly. Yes. Like I remember like the scene in uh Godzilla's Violante where uh uh, what's oh, what's her name? I forgot her name. Oh, uh, Miki. 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 She kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to call her like Mikasa or something. After <laughs> the uh, Attack on Titan's character. Anywho, um, that uh, when she tried to repel Godzilla with her uh, EM, with her uh, EMP, not EMP, uh, telekinetic powers or whatever, where she was kind of knocked back because Godzilla's mind was so much, you know, huge and different and powerful than ours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it'd be a very bad idea. I'd try to drift with Godzilla's mind to see how to defeat it. I think your your brain would melt inside your skull and then ooze out your ears. There's a, there's a Star Wars comic I have where Darth Maul's uh, infiltrating this um, criminal's uh, uh, this criminal warlord's uh, base, and he's coming across all these assassins. And there's this telepath who tries to read Darth Maul's mind, and Darth Maul just stands there in the telepath, like his eye, his pupils shrink, and he just whispers so dark, and he falls over dead with blood coming out of his nose. I, I picture something like that with Godzilla. That's it. We'll, we'll drift Godzilla and Darth Maul together, and then we'll power <laughs> later. And then we'll defeat all the franchises. <laughs> Talk about a crossover. Oh, boy, that'd be crazy. Uh, of course, of course. Wait, wait, if you drift with Godzilla, and he's radioactive, would you get mind cancer? That would be pretty interesting. That would, yeah, think about it. We or, have like, cancer there. thoughts. That that is that's really <laughs> stupid thought to just take over your mind. <laughs> like you're just sitting there having a discussion of a civic room right now, and all of a sudden I start blurting out about pancakes versus waffles, and, <laughs> and, then, and then I seize up and fall over, and you never hear me again. 
the one just uh, what you said about a uh, brain cancer i'm hoping we see a lot of like um scenes like that in uh and the new Godzilla film, where people have radiation sickness, where people are right. getting cancer from Godzilla. I would have liked to have, like someone else mentioned, I would have liked to have seen that in Pacific Rim with the kaiju blue. Like, I wish we could have seen, like, um, to add on to our talk about extended prologue, where, like, whole crops have been contaminated by kaiju blue and things like that. Yeah, I think that's something that Godzilla could do better than Pacific Rim and that kind of have, like, the, the impact, the uh, shockwaves of the kaiju. Yes. I mean, Godzilla is radioactive. That makes him dangerous by himself. I mean, just standing near him is dangerous. And then you add in the atomic breath and the claws and the teeth. And, and then it's just it's just a mess. <laughs> and I think that'd be something really interesting to explore more. Because I think they had some... Yeah, they had some exploration to the effects of his uh, radiation and Gojira. Uh, but not a lot. I think that's something we could do in this movie to set it apart and make it special. Absolutely. I think we've pretty much wrapped up the um, Pacific Rim discussion, unless you guys can think of anything else to uh, add on to it. Uh, nope, I'm, I think I'm pretty much done. Cool. Uh, my last... I, I, uh, that's pretty much it. I can't really think of anything else. My last thing, though, I want to ask all of you. You would recommend this movie, though. You think this all this is a really good, solid movie and a, a good hope for the kaiju... Just the kaiju genre in general, beyond Godzilla. Oh, oh yes, yes, it is. It is the. I it beats Godzilla as being. It's the best uh, American like monster verse movie. Like, I don't want to compare it to. I mean, it beats Godzilla the American one yeah. because it's definitely it. It definitely right. you know better story, better those things. Cloverfield, I think. I think is a good. Again, it, they're two different films. I don't want to compare them. But it, yeah, Pacific Rim is just on a league of its own. It really is like World War Z. It, what it did for zombie movies, it really is what that, that for giant monsters. Mm-hmm. Like at least at this time, you know, really bringing the mass media to giant monsters and giant robots. I would absolutely recommend this to any fan of giant monsters or giant robots, as well as to anyone who just likes action movies in general. What about you, Jacob? Uh, I think the movie was a great. Like, I would definitely recommend it for people and you know for monster fans or just people or like casual moviegoers. I mean, it it'd be a good popcorn flick. So. I mean, let's be honest here. I mean, Jacob uh, Hayes, are you? How many times have you seen the film? I've only seen it once so far, but I really want to see it again, like on a bigger screen than I did. And, and Jacob, you know what? I've seen it once as well, but I plan on seeing it again sometime soon. So, and I mean, I pl- I've seen it once, and I'm planning on seeing it uh, this Wednesday with a uh, very good monster friend of mine. Uh, uh, she and I are uh, she's very excited about it. So yeah, I mean, you can listen to us like tell you to see it, but I mean, we're seeing it multiple times. Highly recommend it. Awesome. I think this at least until. Comes out. Yeah, I know. This is like the so, so the holdover drug for Godzilla. I mean, I'm really I love this movie and I thought it was great, but I really can't wait for Godzilla. I would personally, I don't know. I I'm. It is so different from Cloverfield. I might say Cloverfield would be better because I think Cloverfield, for me, it it, it took um, you know, like I thought I knew every way to do a monster movie, and it just turned it on its head. 
and made me look at the whole fran- the whole genre in a different light. But I think this movie is kind of like how the new Marvel movies. They're superhero movies, but they also they do a good job of turning the uh, the traditions of comic books into films, telling multiple telling a long story over multiple installments, issues or films, that kind of thing. I feel like this movie does for kaiju conventions, conventions of the kaiju genre, the mechs, the people, the warriors, the monsters. And I would like to see where where would you guys think a sequel could go? Where could because they're talking about it, they're they're open to doing a sequel. But considering they closed the wormhole and nuked all the aliens, I don't know where where a sequel could go to. Well, did they really nuke all the aliens? Because when when I imagine like these colonists, I imagine like a whole planet of like these aliens, and then I imagine like they have dozens and dozens of these holes open. And then, a new one. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, we we stopped them for a while, but if they do make a Pacific Rim two, it'd be either a them reopening the uh, the uh, wormhole and trying to get revenge, you know, trying to you know take back after all the damage we've done, or b Pacific Rim two is us building up something. We sense that they're planning to attack. You know, we sense the rift. You know, sparking and urge. You know, trying. You know, convulsing, like. Because uh, I'm sure once you open up like a terror like that, it you know it'd be hard to you know tear it. You know, like an earthquake. You know, like a fault will always remain. Mm-hmm. So like you know we see this happening and we we go to them. Yeah, I know that sounds cheesy, but it 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 give the aliens a better way to flush them out. And uh, Del Toro stated he would want to explore the antiverse a lot more in the in the sequel. So that's where I think it'd go. I mean, honestly, we go to them. That sounds exactly like something one of the characters in the movie would say. And I think Del Toro said that uh, they had their idea with the sequel spread it off the concept that new drift of the kaiju brain and all all the kaiju brains are connected. I'm not sure what he means by that. The best I can come up with is maybe that some small part of the kaiju stayed in Newt's brain because it's a two-way connection. But one idea that I've heard thrown around that seems really interesting to me is that the Jaegers are converted from anti-kaiju weapons to, like, these national weapons, and these... Now that the kaijus are gone, the countries are kind of forming again, kind of splitting up from the unified whole of humanity that had formed when the kaiju were around, and now they're kind of warring amongst each other. And then maybe the kaiju will show up at the end and unite them again. Uh, but, I mean, whatever they do, I'd really like to see how the Jaeger pilots, the remaining ones, I mean, that'd be uh, Herc, Rally, and Mako are kind of fitting into this new world without kaiju because all the Jaegers are gone and there's no really re- real reason, immediate reason to build them again. So, I mean, where do they fit now? Because that's pretty much all they've done all their lives. Mm-hmm. And if they, they did that route where they went back into the wormhole, it would be, I wouldn't want to see a whole movie be about that because, again, giant monsters to me, the whole point is to see them in the city. But it would be a great tribute to, a, like, Monster Zero. Hmm. Well, you know, you could also have like the alien city. I mean, let's not be, let's not be, you know, Earth centric. <laughs> let's go to another. Uh, let's go to the antiverse and destroy some of their cities. Let's be equalists here. Exactly. <laughs> let's do. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Awesome. Having the the Jaegers become the uh, aliens kaiju, where we're terrorizing them. That would be great. <laughs> the... That would be an awesome way to take it. I think. 
it would also be kind of cool, like, seeing the, you know, because the kaiju were meant to, like, destroy and, like, everything in their path. Like, just seeing the, uh, the Jaegers transformed from, like, just defensive and anti-kaiju weapons to anti, like, war weapons. Like, uh, like you said about, like, you know, countries attacking each other with them. Like, just seeing, like, one purpose for the sole, you know, purpose of not attacking a kaiju, but just leveling everything in its view. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that would that would be cool. I mean, and the more we talk about, it, the more open I am to a sequel. I'm surprised. I, I first thought like I didn't really see how they could do a sequel, but yeah, I'm up for it. Yeah, I think doing a sequel would be kind of difficult with either keeping the same kind of tone and uh, setting while also not doing the same thing over. But I think I trust them to do it again. I think they could make a good sequel. Cool. So I guess that about wraps up the show. I want to thank you three for joining me tonight. Oh, you are very mm-hmm. welcome. Not a problem. Not a problem. And um, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, we just said not a problem at the same time. Oh, cool. Kind of freaked me out. Yeah, <laughs> not a problem. We, we, we drifted. <laughs> Group drifted. We should go pilot a Jaeger now. <laughs> oh, but uh, Clover, uh, Clover. Yes. If we, uh, if if I could, uh, we must have. You must find Dylan, wherever he may be, on the planet. Get him to say how many days it has been, until, or how many days it, uh, until Godzilla is released. Yes, actually, indeed. Um, <laughs> we should totally do that, because I want to know, too. 